Hey, I am Mr. Beat, and I am an American, in case you didn't know. Uh, I live in the United States of America. We just had our birthday yesterday, July 4th, uh, 247th birthday, so happy belated birthday, America. And it's a, uh, it's a, we have a representative democracy. And so you may already know this about me, but I'm really passionate about voting. <laughs> and in particular, voting reform. That's why I've made a lot of videos about voting reforms, because this, I think, is the most pressing issue of the day. I think a lot of the uh, problems of society, American society specifically, can be traced back to uh, we have a very unrepresentative government. We're supposed to be a republic, a representative democracy, and yet these representatives are not truly representing us. So how can we make it so they do represent us better? Also, every vote is not equal. And I'm really passionate about trying to make every vote equal because in my opinion, and probably yours too, we should all be equal. Nobody is better than anyone else. Uh, everybody should, should have an equal voice. And so based on those principles, um, I've explored different voting reforms. Along the way, I've come across uh, amazing organizations uh, like the Center for Election Science, Fair Vote, but one in particular has caught my attention over the past year. And they also just happened to reach out to me after I released a video uh, comparing different voting uh, reforms. So that was pretty cool. And even cooler is I have them here tonight with me, two representatives for, from the organization. So just a little bit about um, the Equal Vote Coalition. If you've never heard of the Equal Vote Coalition, uh, they are based out of Oregon, and their mission statement is to promote true equality in the vote. They conduct and support top-notch research, educate communities, and build coalitions their five core principles for electoral reform mandate that proposals they support empower honesty, equality, accuracy, expressiveness, and simplicity. These criteria form the basis of which we evaluate and advance proposals for better voting. So uh, they're doing a lot of great work. And But something that probably caught your attention was the name of this video, which is... Uh, what is the name of this video? Maybe we were wrong about ranked choice voting. So I used to think ranked choice voting was the bee's knees, but maybe it's not so great after all. Maybe there are better, way better alternative voting methods. And so we're going to get into that tonight. But without me blabbing any further, I'm, uh, I'm going to go ahead and bring my special guests on uh, to the screen here. Welcome. We've uh, got Sarah and Sass from the Equal Votes Coalition. If you can Starting with Sarah, introduce yourself. Just tell a little bit how you got involved with this uh, movement. Oh, you're still muted, uh, Sarah. You're still muted. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. Well, to get us started, thank you so much for having us here. It's definitely an honor and a privilege to get to use your platform to share our story and our message and we're hoping that it's constructive and positive for everyone despite the clickbait title but um as as for me my name's sarah wolk i'm the executive director at the equal vote coalition and i've been working on voting reform for at least 15 years maybe more since i first found out about vote splitting the spoiler effect ranked choice voting 
And I resonate with a lot of what you said in terms of my personal story. I found out about ranked choice voting. I fell in love with it. I was really, really inspired by the pitch that you could have a voting method or a voting paradigm, a world, a democracy where you can vote your conscience without worrying about wasting your vote and then actually elect representative candidates. So for me, the, the first election I ever voted in as uh, an 18-year-old was the Ralph Nader scenario, which is now notorious. So that really was a classic example of the spoiler effect, splitting the vote um, and changing which major party won the election. Pretty, pretty groundbreaking, revolutionary in terms of the movement in general, and definitely for me, an inspiring moment in history to kind of get to the root of this issue. Yeah. I remember that election very well. <laughs> it was the first one I voted in as well. Uh, all right, Sass, introduce yourself. Hello, everyone. I am Sass. I am uh, the operations coordinator, among other things, uh, with Equal Vote Coalition and uh, Associated Projects. I uh, actually ran for U.S. House of Representatives back when I lived in Texas, Austin, Texas. Um, I knew that voting method reform was like an important, like a particularly important uh, issue. Um, but I didn't want to take like a absolute strong stance on it until I had really studied it. Um, I was somewhat familiar with ranked choice voting based on like CGP Gray's uh, Animal Kingdom videos, which are very fun. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was like, had big, you know, how are we going to do STV and all this crazy stuff? And, but I knew I, I'd seen star voting before and I knew that proportional star voting was an idea. And I actually emailed Sarah and I was like, I've read everything on your website about this. Can you, can we talk, can you tell me more? And so she actually got me connected with the head of the Proportional Representation Research Committee, Dr. Keith Edmonds. Uh, and then he was just like, can I just talk to you for an hour? I was like, sure, great. And so I talked to him for an hour and he like, you know, as that's exactly what I wanted. He totally schooled me. I had no idea what I was talking about. And he like got me started in the right direction and and with the right ideas and the right things and so i started looking into approval voting and star voting and so many others uh, i got involved with the various organizations um uh, mostly for star voting and approval voting uh and um over time it was just like it just stuck i just kept being active i kept volunteering my passion didn't die out I spent more time on that than i did in my campaign which maybe part of why i didn't make it onto the ballot uh and and the aftermath of that, there was a fantastic opportunity for me to move up to Eugene, Oregon, to work full time on this, this issue. Uh, and so now I, that's what I do. I'm full time with the Equal Vote Coalition. I spend a lot of my days these days working on star voting, particularly because we have some active campaigns for it, which is super exciting. And I'm sure we'll tell you about later. Um, but uh, there's, there's, there are a lot of really great solutions to this problem. Um, but sure that we're that we're aiming for the solutions that actually solve the problems so um, i'm super excited to be here today and to have this conversation um i think it's going to be really great i'm super looking forward to it i'm glad you're both here thank you so much for being here and before we get started i just want to stress how all of us 
even everyone watching, I would assume, uh, would probably agree that, well, not everyone watching, I <laughs> most people watching would assume that um, we're on the same page in terms of what we have now is not working. Uh, plurality voting sucks. Uh, first past the post sucks. We want something that uh, makes it so that uh, we're not voting for the lesser of two evils every two years. <laughs> And so uh, that's kind of the root of this. So just remember that we're all on the same page in, in terms of that stuff, generally speaking. But, um, you know, well, that last thing you said there, Sass, was really important is like, if we're going to make reforms, let's make sure we do it the right way. So we need to be careful and cautious and let's test out what really works the best. And I think we're seeing, we, well, I'm going to put this up first. Uh, this is just a map I found. This is probably not the best one because I, I know Sarah was telling me before earlier today that <laughs> this is a little misleading, but th this is just a sample of already where we've seen ranked choice voting in action. Uh, and keep in mind that a lot of these states, it's only within those states. It's not the entire state. But even historically, like uh, states like Florida or Wisconsin used to have ranked choice voting, but currently uh, do not, to my knowledge anyway. Um, and then, but at the same time, it's a pretty big movement right now, a, a growing movement still. Ranked choice voting is something that's becoming very popular. In fact, most people, I think, are at least aware of it. W would you say that's accurate, that most people are at least familiar with ranked choice voting now? Oh, Sarah, you're muted. Oh, you're muted. Uh, but but I'll, yeah. I'll say I've been out canvassing a lot you know, talking to voters about star voting and, you know, a good handful of them bring up ranked choice voting. Um, but there are a lot who've never, ever come across this concept. Um, so, oh, wow. yeah, I was, and they're voters. Those are people who vote in elections. So I need to get out of my echo chamber then. <laughs> yeah, it's really easy for us to think, because I mean, we're Sarah and I are in it even more, you know, it's all we talk about all day. Um, but it's when you get out there on the street and you actually start talking to people, you realize that this is that, this is like, still not known by everybody. Um, and so there's still a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's really relevant for us because when we used to go out in the world and start talking about better voting, we had a pretty simple job of it. We would talk about the current system and what's wrong with it. And then we'd talk about our proposal, which is star voting. There's a couple of different proposals that I think would get us forward and making a difference, but star voting is the one we recommend as really maximizing our pillars and just being the most well-rounded, scalable, viable proposal. And we can get into why later, but um, once we started to see ranked choice voting increasing in the mindshare, the question becomes, do you lead with ranked choice voting? For people who have heard of voting reform, that's the one that most people have heard of. Mm -hmm. But we're definitely not there yet. It's a okay. it's a common FAQ question, like why not rank choice voting or is this rank choice voting? But most people are like, what's wrong with the current system? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do need to be aware that it's mostly just poli sci or political history geeks that watch my videos that are all aware of this stuff. But like your average. <laughs> Jane or Joe or whoever doesn't know anything about it. So yeah, good. Um, before we go into what we're doing next, uh, thanks for the super chats. I appreciate that. Harrison, good to see you here. Uh, 
I would never want to be president, by the way. I would hate that job. <laughs> uh, Alexander Hamilton's here, which you may have heard of him, uh, founding father. Uh, despite the flaws, they say RCF has the potential to enhance the fairness, inclusivity, and integrity of elections, and I stand by it. I like to eat apple. Interesting. You know, there's a lot of people in the chat already that are triggered by the title of this video uh, and the thumbnail. They're like, how can you be talking trash about ranked choice voting? But I think by the end of this, they're going to understand where we're coming from. <laughs> At least I hope. Um, yeah. On on that note, I think it might be helpful to share a little bit more of my story with when I got involved. Yeah. Um, let's, get, let's introduce with that. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I had a number of causes. I've been socially involved in politics and activism pretty much my whole life. But at a certain point, it occurred to me that if we want to be effective on any issue that we care about, this issue, voting reform, the spoiler effect, inability to vote our conscience, really is the fundamental foundation for us to be effective on every other issue. So I got a flyer on ranked choice voting. I thumbtacked it to my wall. And when I had a little time, I got involved as a volunteer. And at my first meeting for ranked choice voting, I ended up meeting some people who, um, who fact-checked me. So I was there, you know, bright, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, excited to talk about ranked choice voting. And again, my elevator pitch was, it should be safe to vote your conscience, your vote shouldn't be wasted, we should get representative winners. And I got met with kind of a few people who were like, well, actually, you know, it's more safe to vote your conscience your vote is more likely to make a difference and not get wasted, but it can waste your vote in a couple different ways. Voting your conscience can backfire in some scenarios and it's more accurate than some methods, but definitely less accurate than others. And me being a fairly educated person, I pushed back and I said, no, you're wrong. I'm right. I've read Fair Vote's entire website cover to cover and you're wrong. So we ended up kind of getting stagnated at that meeting. We thought we were going to just move forward with ranked choice voting. Everyone was going to agree. And what we realized is that we had advocates split pretty evenly down the middle and between like ranked choice advocates and people who preferred another alternative voting method. Hmm. So yes. we decided instead of just plowing forward, let's convene a research committee and get agreement on the facts because we all agreed on what we're trying to do here. We just didn't agree about which method actually delivers. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's all math, right? Like, I mean, a lot of it comes down to that. And I think I'll admit that a lot of this is um, kind of beyond my understanding because I, I, I'm just not a mathematical person. Uh, and so I think some of us are kind of out of our comfort zone when you mix the social sciences and, uh, and mathematics. But uh, let me tell a, a quick story about how um, the Equal Vote Coalition reached out to me. It was Sarah. And uh, <laughs> she said uh, she saw my video, uh, prefaced it with, I liked it. But at the same time, like, ah, oh, here's a few critiques. And uh Long story short, I just uh, said, hey, or responded, hey, what if you just like, 
what if we did a live stream and you kind of roasted me and just like <laughs> like reacted to it in real time and like we paused the video and like because I did get some things wrong and the video specifically I'm talking about um, actually I'll put it up on the screen right now it's my video I released a few months ago five months ago called what's the best way to vote and so what we're going to do here oh I gotta share this on the screen uh, where's it at? it's not it's it. i clicked the button it didn't work let me try it again but anyway uh so we're gonna react to this video in real time and uh just let me know when you want to pause it and chime in and say oh well actually uh <laughs> all right can we all see it now yes we can Oh, let me get everyone on the screen here, though. I'll figure this out one of these days. There we go. Okay. Let's just uh, jump right into it, then. Um, who voted for the best way to vote? Which voting system won? Well, stay tuned to find out, buddy. Who wants their voice heard? I'm Mr. Beat. Here in the United States, we mostly use plurality voting for elections, even though most Americans agree that it's absolutely not the best way to do elections. Wait, what's that? <laughs> you don't remember what plurality voting is? Plurality voting is when a citizen only gets to vote for one candidate, and the candidate who gets the most votes, aka a plurality, wins the election, even if they don't get the majority of votes. If you want to learn more about why I think plurality voting sucks, check out this video here. I did it again. Why do I keep doing this? I keep promoting my own videos in my videos. What is? By the way, that video was a collaboration with the Center for um, uh, Election Voting. Oh, I always get the name of that organization. Center for Election Science. Yeah, Center for Election Science. Thank you. <laughs> All right. It's happening to me. Anyway, organizations like the Center oh, for Election Science, Fair Vote, and the Equal Vote Coalition have been promoting better ways to vote for years. While all three organizations have talked trash about plurality voting, all favor different solutions. The Center for Election Science tends to favor approval or score voting. Fair Vote tends to favor ranked choice voting. And the Equal Vote Coalition is all about star voting. So yeah, like you don't don't you also support um, like something called ranked robin as well? Is that something? Yes, yes. We uh, the Equal Vote Coalition actually endorses three different uh, voting methods for for single winner and multi winner elections actually, um, and it's based on what type of ballot you'd like. Um, so star voting is the champion proposal of the Equal Vote Coalition. Um, which uses a five-star ballot where you score candidates from zero up to five stars. Um, but if you want a ranked ballot, or if you already have a ranked ballot and you don't want to switch to a score ballot, which is a totally which is totally reasonable, but you just want a, a better, simpler tally, that would be ranked robin, which just elects the candidate preferred over the moon. Or if you want a more traditional ballot, um, that's that's just you really want to keep it as simple as possible. Approval voting is also a fantastic option that we endorse. Um, where instead of only being able to support one candidate, you just vote for all the candidates you approve of, and the most approved candidate wins. Um, the Center for Election Science has been pretty laser-focused on approval voting. Um, they used to more bro more broadly support other um, methods like score voting um, and other uh, voting methods in that same family, but in recent years, they've been more focused on just approval. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting because the Center for Election Science prefers cardinal voting systems, systems where you're basically adding up the votes using addition. All the data is counted. And those systems, by default, eliminate vote splitting. And so when we started getting involved with star voting, which is one of the newer voting methods, we got really excited about that. And we reached out to the Center for Election Science for support. And that was right around when they started pragmatically really focusing in on approval voting. And their reason for that is not that they think approval voting's the very best voting method in terms of you know, perfection across the board. They see it as the best bang for your buck, a very simple proposal that would have a huge impact and that they think is very palatable. So what's interesting between Equal Vote and Center for Election Science is we pretty much agree on the facts. The only point of disagreement is really the strategic calculus about how do we get voting reform passed in the real world and in the landscape we're in and how do we prioritize the different considerations? Is simplicity and a traditional looking ballot the most important thing and something more avant-garde would be a deal breaker? Then by all means, go with approval voting. But if your priority is really empowering and enabling voters to vote their conscience, show their preference order, be more expressive and get that really high quality data that you can get with a five-star ballot, then go with something like star voting. So while we do disagree, and there's three groups that each have a different proposal, it's really interesting that two of the groups agree on the facts and one of the groups doesn't. And that would be fair vote in case I'm being cryptic. <laughs> yeah, I just pulled it up real quick, like, because I uh, had forgotten the second location, but approval voting has been implemented two places, notably Fargo, North Dakota, which started uh, implementing it in 2020 and then more recently in St. Louis. Um, but it's also not nearly, uh, most people have no idea what approval voting is. <laughs> um, well, actually, I think this is a really interesting point because Fairvote has been around celebrating its 30th year after its initial founding in 1993. And you know, Center for Election Science, their advocacy, they, they were founded in, I think, 2011. Advocacy really started, though, around, you know, a little bit before star voting, I believe. Star voting advocacy started around 2017. And that approval voting and star voting, um, it's, it's not uncommon for them to also be part of the conversation when it comes to voting method reform across the U.S. There are plenty of panels where you have all three on. Um, Sarah and I have both been on those. I, I think that really speaks to the acceleration uh, that that approval voting and star voting have really accelerated, I think, more quickly than ranked choice voting has in terms of popularity, especially considering that the United States had a history of proportional ranked choice voting back in the, you know, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s. And people just forgot about it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I think that speaks to the idea of it. I won't get into it right now, but there's more I can say about how powerful an idea star voting has been and how it has just absolutely exploded across the map, not just in the U.S., but across the world. It's, it's been really incredible to see. And so, um, I don't know, it tends to be a one-way path. Once once people start liking approval or star more, they don't usually go back to rank choice. 
Yep, that's the case with me. Um, I, uh, yeah, just a little history lesson here. Fair Vote, um, one of the, the founding members of Fair Vote, like one of the main dudes who spearheaded it was John Anderson, who uh, was that third party candidate in, he ran as an independent in the election of 1980 and did actually fairly well for a third party candidate. Um, but that became a really, an issue he became passionate about after he left politics. Um, before he ran for president in 1980, he was a pretty middle of the road. He'd probably be called a centrist today, like a Republican um, who was a disillusioned with uh, Ronald Reagan and the movement behind him. Uh, so yeah, and it's been around, like he said, it's been around a lot longer. These other organizations like yours, uh, uh, much newer. When, when did the Equal Vote Coalition be start? It was founded in 2014, or actually the very end of 2013, as a okay. project of Mark Fronmeyer, who is an electric vehicle entrepreneur here in Oregon, and pretty much launched right into their first statewide ballot initiative. So very ambitious. And that initial proposal was approval voting with a top two runoff. Hmm. So very similar to our current system for nonpartisan elections in Oregon, which is um, one primary election with all the candidates and then a top two runoff. The only difference with approval voting is you can vote for as many as you approve of. So really thumbs down or thumbs up on all the candidates. Right. And what's interesting there is that um, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I've heard of ranked choice voting. I haven't heard of star voting. I haven't heard of approval voting. These are these new concepts. But when we look at who's used approval voting or who's used basically a form of star voting, pretty much everyone has done thumbs up or thumbs down or has voted in an election where they can say, yeah, I'd love pizza. Yeah, I'd also love burritos. Let's get something good for dinner that we're all going to enjoy. And same with the five-star rating. Most of us have done that our entire lives across a wide variety of contexts. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting that these ideas aren't as new as we might think they are. They yeah, to totally. You, son, in the science. Uh, and I will take uh, qu uh, questions at the end if you want to hold off for the question with questions. But thank you, Alex says hi here. And I, I do not know anything about this uh, Nebraska state rep candidate, Michael Ambadakum. I don't know, but I, I will look them up after this stream is over with. But thank you for that. All right, let's continue roasting me. Let's uh, briefly go over the differences between those four non-plurality voting methods. And then afterward, I'll share with you the results of four different elections that several of you participated in. Huh? Yep, several of you used all four different voting systems to vote for your favorite voting systems. Talk about meta. Uh, the results might surprise you a bit. But before we get into it, sponsored content begins. Oh, I'll skip over this. Now, hey, did you know that I like to vote in my free... It was an appropriate sponsor, though, you got to say. Um, <laughs> you go. <laughs> All right. Uh, actually, I'm going to mute this, and then there's another super chat I missed. So uh, this is... Uh, I disagree with you, but thank you for the super chat. Uh, oh, let me pause this now. Um, okay, so they say... We need to stop changing our election systems, as we have seen 
Changing the way we vote leads to disasters. Our founding fathers designed our election system the way it is for a reason. It should remain. I'm going to let both of you have a chance to respond to this as well. But um, my response, uh, first of all, is that uh, the founding fathers uh, could could not have possibly imagined uh, how much the United States would have changed in 247 years. I mean, uh, technology alone, um, the fact that the country would become so much bigger. Um, this is when they first formed the Republic. It was you, the, the telegraph wasn't even around yet. Um, they didn't have national roads, no way to get around. It took, it took a month just to get from, uh, Washington DC to, uh, South Carolina. Uh, so like, it's kind of, uh, insane to compare 2023 to 1787. Um, and I think that we should stop doing that. Also the fallacy of, uh, just because smart people a long time ago had ideas that those are the only good ideas. I think that we, over time, realize that uh, there are better ideas out there, that things don't have to remain the same, and change is never easy, but change is often necessary. So that's all I'm gonna, I could go on for an hour, but what's your response to, the, to that? <laughs> for me, um, I had the fortune of spending uh, a term abroad in college and traveled in Italy. And in Florence, they have this giant cathedral, the Duomo, and the history of it is incredible. They hired masons who would build for generations until they got, you know, up and up and up. And then they would almost have the, the dome meet and the whole thing would collapse. And then they'd start from scratch, clean it all up, rebuild, rebuild, rebuild with a different engineer, a different architect, and it would collapse. And finally, they got it right through trial and error. But we don't live in the Renaissance. We live in hopefully a new Renaissance or our next generation. And we have statistical analysis. We have engineering. We have computers. We have modern science. We can absolutely test our proposals, engineer them simply, elegantly, and effectively, and then implement the best one. We don't have to do trial and error. So... I think we can absolutely solve this problem. It's not a lack of solutions. It's a lack of public education, really. So that's why I'm glad to be here today. And the beauty of federalism is that we have that opportunity in the United States to try it. To, there, there are 50 different states that have can, can all run their own experiments on with this stuff, plus county elections, city elections. Uh, it's just, yeah, we're already seeing experiments happen right before our eyes across the country. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, Sass, anything to say about that last point? Uh, yeah. So the the founding fathers uh, prescribed very little in terms of election systems. Um, they, they didn't. They didn't. Um, they mostly left it up to the states, mm -hmm. um, which is actually a, a good thing for election security, uh, and that's a point we'll come around to later, uh, among other things. Um, but uh, I, I will half agree with their fundamental point some of the changes to our election systems have caused disaster, but some of them have been improvements. Um, a lot of them, in my opinion, have been more bandaged rather than treating the root cause, which is what we're actually trying to do now is, is address the root cause. But for example, um, partisan primaries. A lot of people have strong feelings about partisan primaries um, and duly so, there, there are good arguments against it. 
Um, but the reason we have partisan primaries is because we used to only have general elections. And then what would happen is these parties or these factions would have multiple candidates from their party run in that election and they would right. split the vote and then they would lose. And so the parties would say, we need to make sure this doesn't happen. And so what they would do is they would gate and they would only allow one candidate from their party to go up. Well, what happened was the people said, that's not democratic. The parties are choosing who they should be. Let's, we can make this more democratic by having these partisan primary elections. And so now that's the system that we have. Um, and so they, now you, now the voters get to pick who that um, party representative is, who, or you know, the, the, the party pick is to go to the federal election. Of course, that doesn't solve the root problem. The root problem was vote splitting in the general election, which we know how to solve now. Uh, and that's what we would like. And, and, and as Sarah said, you know, we know a lot more now. We don't need to go in blind. Um, we can make really calculated decisions about it. And the founding fathers have empowered us to do that. Actually, that's what they yep. actually, they empowered us to make these changes. And the yeah. voters... The voters may get to pick the candidate, but those are really, it's really a club is what it is. You have to be in a lot of states, they have closed primaries, which means you have to be registered with a political party. You have to be on their team to vote for the, the person to represent their team. So it's not truly uh, solving the problem either. Go, sorry, go ahead, Sarah. Yeah. So it's interesting. I talked, um, actually ran into one of our local politicians yesterday on the street and talked to her about star voting. And her response um, was longer, but one thing that she said was, it kind of seems like a solution in search of a problem, which broke my heart. So just to really clearly explain what the problem is that we're setting out to solve with voting reform is that our current system works fantastically if there's two candidates. But if there's three candidates, four candidates, um, whichever side has more candidates is statistically at a disadvantage. So I can have a majority coalition. I can have Luke Skywalker, Leia, Chewbacca, C-3PO all on my side versus Darth Vader. We've got him outnumbered. We've got the votes. Um, but we, if our voters don't strategically vote for Luke Skywalker, the candidate on our side who's the most electable, probably the one who's raised the mo most money, we risk splitting the majority coalition and ending up divided and conquered. So oldest trick in the book, um, our current system plurality, traditional voting, catastrophically breaks when you add three or four or five candidates. And it breaks even if those third or fourth candidates only have 1% of the vote or a tiny sliver in a close race. So the spoiler effect is the name of that. Um, it's caused by vote splitting and absolutely solvable. All we have to do is allow voters to show that they prefer all the good guys over the bad guys in a simple scenario. And that's what's required if we wanna break two party domination. Because again, the current system, any system that really has vote splitting in the spoiler effect strategically voters have to split themselves into these two camps mm -hmm. it's designed right in all right we'll go ahead and continue here with this uh so i start with approval voting to approve of us 
Starting with approval voting. In an approval voting system, voters mark which candidates they approve of. If they don't find a candidate acceptable, they leave the space next to the candidate's name blank. If they do find the candidate acceptable, they mark it. So say these are the five candidates on the ballot. You love Bobby and think Steve Bob and Tim Bob are also all right. However, you think Bobby Bobson Jr. is a sociopath and Bob only cares about his corporate donors. Therefore, you vote for Bobby, Steve Bob, and Tim Bob. And leave the spaces next to Bobby Bobson Jr. and Bob blank. So say these are the total results of a batch of ballots. All you do is total up the approvals for each candidate. Whichever candidate gets the most approvals wins the election. Congratulations, Steve Bob. Approval voting is simple and easy to explain to newbies. It especially makes it difficult for newbies to mess up their ballots. It makes it easy to be honest. It also is highly compatible with what we've already got in place with existing election codes. It can also be used for multi-winner elections if there was proportional representation. Uh, did I miss anything? Or is it there? I think I... So uh, proportional approval voting is absolutely an option and it's a really good option for proportional representation, but there's also multi-winner elections that aren't necessarily proportional. So that's just really a nitpick. Um, there's really kind of three options regardless what ballot or voting method you use. You've got your single winner, your basic multi-winner where your top most popular candidates win, and then proportional representation where if I have a quarter of the vote and there's four seats, I would win one of those four seats, more or less. Um, I have two things. One, in the previous set of memes, not this one, um, I, think, I think I made one of those. Oh <laughs> my gosh, I gotta go back. <laughs> That's awesome. Or Drake. The Drake one? Oh yes, yes, no, no, no. It was the one on the on the right, the screaming. That was me. Yeah, I made that one. Oh, um, oh that's awesome. Oh uh, man. Yeah, I, I just said the, the Center for Election Science made a new Facebook page, and I just made like fifteen approval voting memes. It was very fun. Um, Thank but you. The other thing was, um, you said one of the one of the claims was it makes it easy to vote honestly or, or to be honest, and um, with approval voting. It is always safe to honestly approve your favorite, which is a fan, which is a fantastic feature of the system. And there's mm -hmm. no reason ever not to vote for your favorite under approval voting, and that's that's really really cool. Um, with approval voting, um, most of the points against it are also points against choose one plurality voting, um, and there are stronger arguments. Like it's the degree of which it's a problem is is greater in choose one voting, but one of the, the, the electability bias that's inherent in our current system does exist in approval voting just to a lesser degree. If you want your vote to help determine who wins, um, you still want to make sure you approve at least one front runner and disapprove at least one front runner. And that's pretty natural. That's not like a, that's, that's pretty in line with what people, voters are already used to in the current system. So it's not like a, a big change or anything. Um, but but that is still something that, that exists in approval voting. It's a small point. Approval voting is still really great. I love it. I think it's a fantastic upgrade from the current system and totally worth it. Mm -hmm. But that is, um, that's just like a little extra asterisk on makes it easy to be honest. Okay.
I think I might have referenced that when my dis, uh, the negative things here. So we'll Station. see. Just because you approve of multiple candidates doesn't mean you think the same way about all of them. Some of them you very reluctantly approve, while others you may very passionately approve. Also, many voters may struggle with what they feel qualifies a candidate as someone they approve of. Not only that, a poll worker can more easily fill in extra bubbles before scanning a ballot, and it would be hard to prove they did so. Next. Is, is that really, I read that, but I was wondering, like, do you have any insights into, is that actually a legit criticism? Because I was, I went back and forth about that. Um, yeah, so chain of custody is an incredibly important part of election security. So that what that means is at every stage and step of the process in an election, you need to make sure that you have multiple people um, from, you know, from different factions or nonpartisan, independence, whatever, like in the same room with the ballots at the same time to like check each other and make sure the other person isn't messing with things. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why like ballot boxes are in public places and all the processing happens in public places. Um, that's like very intentional. Um, and so uh, that kind of chain of custody can help prevent that problem. Um, if you, you lose chain, if you screw up chain of custody, there are, of problems you could run into um you know it's, and some of them it's you could argue which ones are easier or harder than others um you know it depends on where you implement it a lot of cities across the u.s use machines to mark ballots rather than having to be marked with a, with a with a pen depends where you are um and then another solution to this problem which is not one that most people often advocate for but instead of having just one bubble next to each candidate you either fill in or don't fill in you have two bubbles next to each candidate. One column is for yes, one column is for no, or approve and disapprove, and you fill in exactly one bubble next to each candidate. Oh, uh, okay. Um, so okay. that's another solution to that problem if you're if you're concerned about it. I have not seen any evidence of this problem in Fargo, North Dakota, or St. Louis, Missouri. Theoretically, it's like hard to check for, but but I haven't. We haven't. We haven't necessarily seen or come across this problem yet in, in real public elections. There have been four public approval voting elections in the U.S., um, but it is, it is something worth thinking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think approval voting, I would give an absolute five-star rating to in terms of election security. It's very easy to tally, and because it is just addition, like star voting, that means that it complies with something called summability. So you can collect the ballots. You can start counting them right as they come in. So you can have a group of poll workers from each party actually watching each other's work. And you can have cameras on them. People are adding it up and, um, you know, scanning the ballots as they do. And then each precinct or each elections bureau can combine their results with any other elections bureau. So there's no need to centralize the ballots. There's no need to complicate or break that chain of custody in any way. So I would say it's it's as secure as our current system. All and, right. Which is quite secure. Super quick. Not yeah. only can they share those results with each other, they can share those results directly to the public and then anybody anywhere can add up those results and, and um, come up with an answer. So you're not just, it's not just elections bureaus who are checking each other's work. It's also the public 
who's checking that work as well. And so that's a feature of our current system. You get to re retain both an approval voting and start voting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, awesome. and little, before we move on, little plug for all of you who do volunteer as a local election observer. That's a thankless task and tons of us do it and democracy nerds in your live stream should absolutely do it. Yes, heck yeah. All right, moving forward. Before scanning a ballot, and it would be hard to prove they did so. Next up, in case you're keeping score already, let's look at score voting. In a score voting system, sometimes called a range voting system, voters rate candidates on a numerical scale. Typically, a score is between 0 and 5 or 0 and 10. Voters can rate as many choices as they want. If you don't have an opinion about a candidate, you just don't give them a score. After ballots are all turned in, all the scores for every candidate are averaged. And now, didn't I get that part wrong? Uh, there's a, let's see. So it's not exactly wrong. This is definitely a nitpick, but mathematically oh. an average is the exact same thing as the total score. So the, the highest scoring candidate wins. Oh. And that's how we prefer to explain it because tallying the highest score is just addition. Tallying the average is a very simple al algorithm, but we try and keep it simple. Yeah, the, the I will say um, Dr. Warren Smith, who was is kind of a big proponent for just plain score voting and, and the version of it that he advocates for candidates from zero to nine or zero to 99, but you can also fill in a bubble that says no opinion next to a candidate. And that's different from a zero. Uh, and no opinion votes are not included in the average. And then it's calculated based on averages. Oh. And he also has minimum thresholds. He adds a couple of these extra complexities in to try to cover for these corner cases and then argues that it's simpler than star. And I'm like, at that <laughs> point, I'm not sure it is simpler than star. Just go anymore. with star, man. Yeah, um, just go with star. Opinion, subjective. Um, but uh, so so depending on the exact system, there are, there are a couple slightly different ways to do it. But yeah, that's, yeah. Okay. It's all, it's all basic. It's effectively what what you think it is okay the candidate with the highest average score wins so say there were only 10 ballots and bobby bobson jr had scores of one 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 two four 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 five and five his average score would be 2.8 but bobby had scores of one two three 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 four four five five and five so her average score would be 3.5 in this case bobby would win congratulations bobby your vote says so much more with score voting than just approval voting. It says that you not only approve of a candidate, but you prefer one candidate over another and you prefer them by a quantitative amount. Studies have shown that voters would feel most satisfied with their vote if they can score each candidate. 
Score voting doesn't account for head-to-head matchups. Almost always when we vote, we are voting for one candidate compared to another candidate. Sure, most voters likely have clear scores in mind about candidates they hate and candidates they love, but it's much more difficult for them to come up with an independent score for everyone in between. Not only that, this method heavily depends on turnout for more accurate scores. What if turnout is extremely low and only extremists show up to the polls? But you'll probably... Okay, so what did I miss for pros and cons for, for score voting? Yeah, so that that talking point that it's harder to score things than to to do anything else is actually false. So I'm going to lean on cognitive... Um, cognitive load theory as my citation for all of this, but human opinion by nature is actually nuanced. We don't see the world in black and white, and we definitely don't see the world in choose one only. You know, I only have one color that I like. I only have one food that I'll eat um, for most of us, at least past toddlerhood. And so to translate a really, really expressive opinion into a choose one only scenario can be extremely difficult in terms of cognitive load. And um, I know for me personally, I've had a couple of presidential elections where I'm an informed voter. I know everything I can learn about each of the candidates and I still don't know how to vote. Do I vote my conscience? Do I vote less or evil? So anytime you add in strategic voting, that um, if you need to be strategic to cast your ballot and not have your vote wasted, that's not easier. And then in terms of ranking versus rating or um, scoring versus ranking, score ballots are fantastically easy because let's say I love my favorite. I also like my second choice almost as much. That's four stars. I've got a lesser evil who is really pretty awful, one star. Zero is my worst case scenario. Whereas with a ranked ballot, you know, do I want my vote to transfer to a one star candidate? Maybe not. Maybe I shouldn't rank them at all because I don't want to imply that I'm supporting them or that I would be represented if they win. Hmm. Um, I'll say I have a couple things. Um, score voting relying on enough people showing up, that's, I've never heard that before. That's a really weird claim. Um, in my opinion. <laughs> my sources are in the description, okay? <laughs> okay. Um, are you sure it was a reliable source? A lot of people say a lot of things. Uh, um, but uh, I, oh, I'd love to see. Oh, yeah, pull it up. Let's do it. What, what's your source on that claim? I'd love to see it. Yeah, I think that was one of the things we asked you when we emailed. Um, but my response to that was that every voting method relies on enough people to show up to have a representative sample. Obviously, if I ask one person what they think, that's not going to be a democratic decision. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, but score voting gives you a lot of, it gives you a lot of data to work with, even with a few people. Um, I think the, the more apps criticism that's sort of along the same lines of the example you gave about extremists is what type of voting does score voting incentivize? And this is actually, this actually sets us up really well for star voting in score voting. Um, it, you are incentivized to min max your scores. So, uh, you 
you know, there's no, if you have a candidate who you'd give four, four um, out of five, really you should, you should probably just give them five. It doesn't, because it, if you think about it in the scheme of the whole election, like this is just a candidate you like and you'd be happy with and you want to boost them as much as possible because maybe it's going to come down to them and some candidate you really don't like. So you want to help them as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And the yeah. difference between your five star and your four star is like less important than the difference between them and a candidate you really don't like. Um, and so over time, as voters as voters learn this and, and as the system works itself and voters get used to it, I suspect that you'll see that voters will, will mid-match their scores. And so everybody okay. will, if you did just plain score voting, you see all five, all zeros or all nine, all zeros, mm -hmm. which just turns it into approval. And I love approval voting. Approval voting is great. But if, if you're just going to do approval voting, just do approval voting, just keep it simple. Um, and, and the other, the other consequence of that is for voters who figured this out, um, you know, and you just min-max everything, it arguably, their, their vote is doing more for them than a voter who's more honest and, and, and uses the full range of scores. Um, whereas approval voting levels that up and it just, mm. it just takes that out, out of the equation and it does a better job of leveling the playing field for voters in that, in that specific way of, of, it, of it really like, it's like it does the work for you on that piece of the puzzle. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Just to build on that. So confession, I am a strategic voter. And when I look at voting methods, I definitely think about, you know, how would I game this or how would I get an edge? And with score voting, to put it super simply, I should give my favorite front runner five stars. Because let's say I'm a cynic and I actually don't like any of the candidates. I give um, you know, I give my preferred, my real favorite five stars and then my favorite front runner one star because they're, you know, whatever, two party, somebody or another, then um, ultimately the power of my vote is only really going to be one star out of a possible five okay. in that pair that really makes a difference. So score voting is a fantastic voting method um, to keep these criticisms in perspective. It's still really one of the top methods in terms of accuracy and, and all of that. But that strategic incentive and the fact that if you're not strategic, your vote's less powerful, to me, that's a problem worth fixing. So that's where star voting comes in. Marcus has a good point here. Good to see you, Marcus. Strategic voting has led to the two-party system in the United States. Yeah, that's uh, you're exactly right. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's really important to look at what causes strategic voting, which is which is actually like a huge piece of this field. And what we're going to be talking about is like you can there are voting methods that incentivize honesty, and there are voting methods that incentivize dishonesty or dishonest strategies, mm. um, depending on how technically you want to get with the language. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so yeah, I think this was this, I don't remember where that, where I read that. I think at first I thought it was on this page, but I don't think so now that I, I uh, so I don't remember where I got that information, unfortunately. Um, no but worries. Yeah, this is why we do this. Uh, okay. Let me, let's continue with, are we ready to move on to ranked choice voting? I have one quick thing that I just is burning oh. a hole in me. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, 
So in terms of strategic voting, when we talk about strategic voting, we're talking about the current paradigm where it's not safe to vote my conscience, I'm voting lesser evil. And that's a fundamentally dishonest vote that completely warps our voter data and gets us warped outcomes. So the incentive to do that behavior is really, really strong. Statistically, it's around 17 um, to one. It's like, if I could be strategic, it's 17 to one, I should be strategic. It's probably not gonna hurt me to do that. Um, mm. Score voting tests more in the three, four, five range. So it's a much weaker incentive, but it's always safe to support your favorite. So yeah. that there's different types of strategy and like exaggerating or minimizing your support a little bit is absolutely not a crime on par with um, lesser evil voting. I would really put that in the misdemeanor category. Good point. Yeah, fair point. All right. Uh, oops, I did the wrong thing again. Here we go. Now on to... Dum, 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 ranked choice voting, which uh, is now my least favorite form of alternative voting methods that we've uh, explored as a, well, plurality voting is still the worst in my opinion, but yeah, ranked choice voting isn't much better in my opinion, and we're going to soon find out why. So here we go. Being higher than approval or score voting. In a ranked choice voting system, sometimes called an instant runoff voting system, voters rank candidates by preference on their ballots. So if there are five candidates, you rank them one through five, with one being your favorite candidate and five being your least favorite candidate. After the ballots are counted, if a candidate wins a majority of first preference votes, they win the election. However, if no candidate wins a majority of first preference votes, there's automatically a recount. You want to chime in? Yeah. So majority is a very sexy claim. Everyone really has like a pretty basic understanding of what we mean when we say a majority winner. And unfortunately, it's not that simple. So if it's a black versus white election, then and there's only two candidates, you're always going to have a majority winner. But anytime you have three or more, you could have three polarized factions who hate each other. And in that scenario, it's impossible for a voting method, any voting method, to guarantee a majority. But when we add in the ability for voters to show support for multiple options, all of a sudden, probably most people on this live stream and definitely a majority would say that they like pizza. Um, a majority they, would also say better. Mexican food. And yes, hopefully yes. a majority would probably agree that we love Thai food too. I certainly do. So in that election, you've got three majority preferred winners. Which one should we be eating? The question isn't which one has a majority. It's which one has the broadest support, which one's supported by the most people, and also which one has the strongest support. Um, you know, how much or how little do we like these different foods? Um, yeah, and I, I will say, that, that all that sass hit. I will say that so far, all of your claims in the video about ranked choice voting have been factually true, a factually wrong statement yet. Uh, <laughs> it's, when we get to the end of how you describe the tally, I think is where we actually come in with some of the points that Sarah made and many more. And I think I'd like to give my shot at giving an accurate description of how ranked choice voting works. So I'm excited. I haven't watched this in a while. I'm excited to 
I, I, I want to let us get all the way through your description of the tally, and then we can go back and, and go through it and, and take it and take a look. Yeah, uh, and in my defense as well, like I'm trying to simplify this stuff as best as I can. I realize a lot of times uh, I'm oversimplifying. That's one of my biggest sins since I started making videos uh, many years ago. <laughs> I don't blame you. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. Uh, it's a complex <laughs> system, and it is most of the time that it is described, it is described wrong. Oh, well, there we go. I um, don't feel as bad. Thank you. That's, that's why we're here today. We want to like validate all of the like the activists who like who advocate for ranked choice voting that their heart is in the right place. And we just want to empower everybody with the information and the knowledge that we need to make informed decisions about what they spend their time on and what they advocate for. That that's that's our, our, our thing first and foremost. It's like education and we just want to get the facts right. And like that's our job and that's why we're here. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. And rank them so one through. Oh, go ahead. Again, just to, to not blame you for this really isn't your fault. It's pervasive. People who study up on voting reform, read the things, watch some videos, learn the talking points and repeat them correctly. Um, so you repeated what's all across the Internet. So it's not that you're wrong. It's that your sources are wrong. And mm. when I first got involved with voting reform, I was like, oh, you know, the sources, um, maybe they don't know this. these nitpicks. Maybe they don't know that they should be qualifying their claims or whatever. But as I've, I've now been executive director at the Equal Vote Coalition for years and working in this work for, I think, going on seven years, at least six, there are a lot of leaders in the space who I have personally explained a number of these false claims to, they know that they're false and they leave it on their website on purpose. Oh, that's no good. <laughs> Getting juicy. Yeah, I was going to say, but we remember, we're all on the same team here. Okay. <laughs> yes. Five with one being your favorite candidate and five being your least favorite candidate. After the ballots are counted, if a candidate wins a majority of first preference votes, they win the election. However, if no candidate wins a majority of first preference votes, there's automatically a recount. But the candidate with the fewest first preference votes is eliminated from that recount. And every voter who ranked that person first now has their second preference redistributed and added to the overall tally. If there is still no candidate who has won a majority of votes, the process repeats. The remaining candidate with the fewest votes is eliminated and every person who voted for that person now has their second preference votes redistributed and added to the overall tally. This process keeps repeating until one candidate has a majority of votes. Uh, all right. So, yeah. Um, Sarah, can I go first? Yeah, please take it away. Uh, yeah. So um, it was interesting. One thing you did not do, which I'm glad you, you didn't do, is you didn't just wave away the third round and on and on. Um, usually what happens is and they give an explanation and they say, your vote continues to the, and then in the, and then no candidate gets a majority in the first round, votes transfer, and then you have the second round, nobody gets a majority, and then it just repeats. And they say, and it just repeats. And they don't describe that repetition, which is really important because that repetition actually looks very than they gave in the first round. Um, but when you actually break down the, the system and the algorithm correctly, 
Um, the first round is exactly the same as every other round, um, but it includes really important qualifiers that are left out. And so an accurate description of ranked choice voting is the following. Voters rank candidates in order of preference. Uh, you are so you rank candidates in order of preference. You are not allowed to rank multiple candidates equally. Candidates left rank, left blank are ranked last. Okay, and then to tally, votes are tallied in rounds. In each round, your vote goes to the highest ranked remaining candidate on your ballot, if any. Otherwise, your vote is discarded completely. If a candidate of remaining votes in a round, they are elected. Otherwise, the candidate with the fewest remaining votes is eliminated. So you actually have this double nested if statement that feeds into itself. Um, it's a little bit hard to track, uh, but there are a couple really important details that I included that actually give you a full accurate description of the tally. Um, and there's a lot we, Sarah and I both want to say on this. Um, I'll say you're only counting remaining votes for remaining candidates, which is really important. Um, Sarah, I, as I'm probably going to leave to you talking about like wasted votes and exhausted ballots because there are a couple different ways your, your vote can be wasted. Um, and you'll also notice that in each round of the tally, your vote still only able to support just one candidate, just like our current system. And so in the tally of ranked choice voting, you end up just repeating the current system over and over again. You can't solve the problems of plurality by just iterating plurality over and over again. Oh, um, that's, uh... and yeah. And once you start to put that together, like you can't unsee it. Uh, and it, it really like starts, starts to help you see like, oh man, this, yeah, this really is like some problems get amplified, some problems get mitigated, but it's at its core, it's still the same system. Um, and, and so it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't really address it. But I want to pass it off to Sarah, because I'm sure you've got a thousand things you want to say, too. Sure, yeah. So, um, you know, with ranked choice voting, they, they call the election, they announce a winner when one candidate has a majority of remaining ballots. So that's ballots that are still in play. But numerous studies have showed that in ranked choice elections, where ranked choice made a difference, where there are more than one round of elimination, um, most, a majority of ranked choice elections don't actually get a majority preferred winner. And there's been a few examples where ranked choice elected the majority opposed winner, where a losing candidate was actually preferred over the winner by more voters. So that's where it gets really counterintuitive and the reason why it's so intuitive really comes down to the previous if statement. So if we wanna take down this slide, um, wasted votes, I think is really the crux point and the reason for me that I don't support ranked choice voting as an improvement at all. I think that's a deal breaker. You said you wanna to go to a different slide? Yeah, or we could just take this one down for the moment. Okay, I'll just uh, share the... Uh, Shall we move on in the video? Because I go, I do share my pros and cons in the video. We probably should listen to that first, I guess. Um, yeah, just just to kind of, I think I could say a couple of things before we do. Okay. So in terms of you, you filled out your ballot, you've ranked your candidates, um, and maybe you only have one favorite. 
and you left the other people blank because you dislike them all equally. When we're talking about wasted votes, that's not what we're talking about. If you actually only like one candidate, that's your honest vote. That's not ranked choice voting's fault. And we don't hold that against ranked choice voting. But the issues from a voter perspective come in where, let's say my second choice is eliminated right off the bat, but my first choice is still in play. Then in the next round, my third choice is eliminated and I'm still a happy camper. My first choice is still in play. But in that final round, my favorite is eliminated. And for me, my favorite didn't win. And my next choice was never counted. So that kind of violates the way most people explain ranked choice voting, which is, you know, if your first choice can't win, your next choice will be counted. But it's quite common for a ranked choice election to, to happen if it's competitive, where neither me and SAS had our favorite win, but SAS got their next choice counted and I didn't. So that can be really unfair. And then for everyone who whose favorite did make it to that final round of elimination, but got eliminated, their next choices never are counted. And those are the supporters of like, you know, the next most popular candidate, those second choice votes could have been really important. So back when I was first learning about ranked choice voting, I understood how, to, how it was counted. And I understood that most of the rankings voters give are never counted. But I thought that the ignored rankings were irrelevant rankings. You know, if you had counted the rest of them, it wouldn't have made a difference anyway. So my mind was pretty, pretty well blown when I realized that those ignored rankings are relevant and sometimes could have made a huge difference for that voter to have, you know, if, if their favorite didn't win, their second choice might have. Do you remember the exact moment when you realized that? It's been a staged process, but that that last one was only a couple of years ago. And this is after I've been working on ranked choice and star voting and approval for years. <laughs> but there was a moment when I realized, you know, every single person whose favorite came in second place is not going to have their favorite win and they're not going to have their next choice counted. And that's a ton of people. Hmm. Yeah, it's kind of hard for me to wrap my head around that because it seems... I almost feel like a bit foolish that I didn't see that before, you know? Um, but yeah, let's, let's, uh, <laughs> it's all right. Um, I, before I play the, the, uh, the next portion of this video, I do realize the memes were inaccurate. So let's just get that out of the way. When I was making this video, I just literally searched ranked choice voting memes. And then the ones I thought were the weirdest or funniest I put up there. So <laughs> let's just get that out of the way. The memes are not, uh, accurate. <laughs> Bobby wins again. Ranked choice voting does a better job than both approval and score voting at determining which candidate actually has the strongest support because it forces the voter to compare candidates. What do you say on that? Is that is that uh, not an accurate statement at all? <laughs> Depends how you're defining strong support uh, and what type of data you're looking at. So if you're if you're talking about like what what I would say is like base of support, or Sarah tends to say number of voters, um, 
you know, ranked choice voting can, can kind of do that, at least for favorites, um, if that's the thing you care about, about, you know, how, who, you know, how many, what, how many, what number of voters, you know, have a particular candidate as a favorite, um, ranked choice can tell you that right off the bat. That's what the first round, um, approval voting doesn't allow you to make the distinction. Um, with score voting, you have enough data to determine anything you would determine from a ranked ballot, right? So you can always get a complete set of rankings from a set of scores. Um, and so theoretically with a score ballot, you could simulate a ranked choice voting election, depending on whether or not you allow, you know, equal scores or not. Um, and there's, there's a little bit with that. Um, but the method itself, the score voting, um, it doesn't, the way that that method is tallied, it's that tally is not going to tell you that same kind of base support that uh, for favorites that ranked choice voting does. Um, but that's just with that particular definition of strong support or about like broad support, approval voting and score voting crush ranked choice voting on that. Okay. Um, so it depends on what type of support you're looking at. Uh, Sarah, Sarah, you're muted. muted. I would just add when I'm out on the street talking to voters and they say, you know, what's the difference between a ranked ballot and a five-star ballot, you know? So with a ranked ballot, you can show your preference order, but let's say I like my second choice as much as my first choice. Um, there's no way for me to show that. And if my second choice is really almost as good as my favorite, there's no way to show that. If my second choice is almost as bad as my last choice, there's no way to show that. So a second choice ranking in ranked choice could be anywhere from, um, you know, Jesus to Hitler. You know, assuming that there's somebody slightly better or slightly worse out there in terms of villain or profit. Well, I think Jesus was better than Hitler, just for the record. Let the record stand. Okay. <laughs> um, all right, let's... Uh... I'm going to move pretty slowly through this next ne next chunk, so don't worry about uh, it. Also makes elections more secure compared to approval voting. I would say that's true, right? No, no, not even a little bit. Completely false. But about equal, then? No. Wh what are you talking about? Election security? Yeah, wouldn't it be because like you you still have the same process generally of like why would it? Nope. You're saying it's less safe than approval voting? Way less secure. Not why even close. Is, why is that? Uh, so Sarah was alluding to this earlier. Ranked choice voting requires tabulation to be centralized to a single point of failure. Um, the way the algorithm works oh, is you right. cannot determine who, you know, where votes are going to go, who's going to be eliminated this round without the full results of the previous round. And so uh, those round by round results, like trying, you can't, you can't, it's not simple addition. Uh, and so you can't just give a short stack of numbers and anybody anywhere can just add them up and determine a winner. It's this is like really complicated. It's an if statement inside of an if statement. And the amount of data that like a precinct would need to publicly report is like more than the number of voters in, an, in a race. Um, like by a lot, it can go way beyond it, depending on the number of candidates you have. And so like what you see in Maine and Alaska now, 
that they, this is a, the change that they had to make to their electoral process is they put ballots, physical ballots on trucks and planes, and they deliver them to a central location, all to be counted at one time in one place. Um, and so you don't have that local accountability. You don't have the checks and balances. And we've actually seen this lead to like real world problems. Um, and so Sarah, if you want to talk about New York City and Alameda, um, we've got slides for these. Uh, here, let me find yeah. them. So uh, slide 27 slide and slide 28. All right. Right. Yeah. So in, so just to set the stage here, um, the Equal Vote Coalition has been warning about the dangers of centralized tabulation for real world elections for years and years and years. But we should start with New York because that was the first one. Um, so I think that's the previous slide. Okay. But in New York City, they adopted ranked choice voting for the first time and they started doing the tabulation and partway through, I think it was round six or seven, maybe a week later, they're announcing, you know, round one results and here are the round two results. And then a couple of days later, here are the round three results. And they announced the results and the candidate who was in first place at that time said, hey, these results don't make sense. We actually spent about a million dollars in polling, doing exit polling. And I think you have the number of voters just doesn't match up with our data. So they told New York Board of Elections to fact check and they discovered that they had accidentally, um, and we assume it's an accident, it seems like it probably was, but they had accidentally added 135,000 um, test ballots there to is. the campaign. Right. So, um, yeah, New York mayor's raising chaos after elections board counts 135,000 test ballots. And definitely New York Board of Elections made a, a massive error there. Um, first off, if you're testing your system, you shouldn't be using real looking ballots. That's just a no brainer. But thank God, Eric Adams, the candidate in the photo, was the one who caught the error. And he was also the one who the fake ballots favored. And he was also the one who ended up winning when they did the recount. But they had to go back and recount all the elections. So for people who say, okay, that's, that's just an election, board of elections, train wreck, it's not ranked choice voting's fault. The fact is with any other voting method, you can check your work as you go. You can check the precinct level results, check that the tally matches the total number of ballots. And there are dozens of steps along the way where any person doing a decent job at their work would have noticed that discrepancy. But with ranked choice voting, most of the rankings are never counted. And so it's very much opaque if something isn't the way it should be, because it just it's very hard to tell how many ballots are actually in play and all sorts of things. That's crazy. I remember hearing about this, but I didn't. I also was probably probably one of the people that said, oh, well, that's not ranked choice voting's fault, you know. But yeah, it. it it, uh, other voting methods would have prevented something like this from happening. So that's the point. Uh, anything to add? One way I like to put it, one, one way I like to put it is uh, the New York City Board of Elections has a history of failure. Um, ranked choice 
or well, no, I say this way. Ranked choice voting requires ballots to be central or ballots the tabula uh, ranked choice voting requires the tabulation to be centralized to a single point of failure. And in New York City, that single point of failure happened to be a board of elections with a history of failure. Uh, it didn't need to be that way. Mm. Uh, but we have another example too on the previous slide. If oh, that's the uh, San yeah. Francisco. Yeah, so New York, um, it was the first time they had ever done ranked choice voting. So there's also that, you know, it's a very different system. So election officials had a hard job and it's kind of understandable that they would mess up on their first try. You always throw out the first pancake. But in Alameda County, in the Bay Area in California, they've been using ranked choice the longest of anywhere in the United States of America. So um, the Bay Area, I think, adopted it 12 years ago, and Alameda County, I think, 10 years ago. Is that right, Sass? Uh, San Francisco adopted it uh, in 2002 for 2004 elections, and then um, Alameda County, it was like Oakland first in like 2010, and that's when Alameda County had to adopt it. Um, and now they've been doing it like in other places in Alameda County since then. Um, but yeah, right. Oakland's been using it for like 10 or 12 years. Yeah, and one of the things that that's really interesting and frustrating for groups like us who try and study voting methods and how are they, how are they working out um, is that most jurisdictions that do rank choice voting never release the full ballot data. Um, and obviously the, the like who voted how is always anonymous regardless of the voting method, but they don't even release the full results. Hmm. And what that means is that you can't really do a, an independent data analysis of did this work the way it should? Did we get a majority preferred winner? How many ballots were exhausted? Um, some of that data is released, some of it's not. And in, um, in Alameda County, they don't release the full data set, but they did send it off to FairVote, which is the largest nonprofit lobbyist for ranked choice voting for them to do data analysis. And FairVote came back and said, hey guys, you accidentally mistallied all of your ranked choice voting elections. So every single ranked choice election that they held, um, in New York, they just messed up the mayor's race. But in Alameda County, they messed up all of them. Man. And what they did is they did the ranked choice voting steps in the wrong order. Oh, so geez. they, yeah. um, there's so there's, there's three different ways that a voter so what this was, was a failure on a failure on a failure. So multiple things had to fail for this to happen. And it's incredible that they all failed at once, but it goes to show the complexity that it's, you know, it's actually that difficult to do and to tally and to verify. But voters can void their ballot if they give two people the same score, if they like them equally um, and they rank that which is very common, um, that voids your ballot and may cause it to be thrown out. If you skip a ranking, um, you say, I don't have any first choice, but here's my second choice, third choice, fourth choice. Um, the way that that used to be counted was that was just a thrown out ballot. Now they're trying to actually say, you know, we'll just count the top remaining ranking as, as the top choice in that round. And then that's where it went wrong in San Francisco. So they, instead of counting the skipped ballots, they eliminated the candidate and then they transferred those rankings. 
And so it turns out they had eliminated the candidates in the wrong order. In one case, they actually seated the wrong winner and they took office. So they didn't even discover that anything had been done wrong until 50 days after the election. Wow. And it had to be settled in court. Uh, yeah, so so this is, there are a lot of ways you can fill out a ranked choice voting ballot wrong, in part because you cannot rank multiple candidates equally. Um, and there are different rules depending on where you are about uh, how these are interpreted, whether they're thrown out or they try to interpret them um, and try to interpret what the voter intent is, uh, which is just difficult sometimes. But yeah, so it was... Um, it was voters who left their first did have other votes in like second or third. Um, and when they, they like, basically they stuck with the precinct results, which don't account for that problem. That's, that's accounted for when all the ballots get centralized and they get ready to certify the election, but they determined who to, to, who to eliminate based on the preliminary results from the precincts rather than like fixing that problem first, recalculating the first round and then determining who to eliminate. So they determined who to eliminate, then they fixed the ballots and then they eliminated that candidate even though they no longer even had the most first choice votes or sorry, even though they no longer had the fewest first choice votes. And that actually, when you follow it through all the rounds, that was a candidate who was actually supposed to actually win. Look at all the ballot data. Um, a candidate who was supposed to win was certified as not the winner. The wrong person was certified. 30 days later, they took office and they served in the seat for a month before they resigned. And then the office was empty for a month. And then a judge said, all right, we got to recertify the election and get the correct winner in here, um, which was, which is just insane. Um, and, and it was, uh, it was, it was like a wild ride, you know, and it was, it wasn't even that they just like, decided to send the data to Fairvote earlier when Sarah said Fairvote saw their certified election results and said, hey, some of these numbers look weird mm. and, and, and requested that the county send them the things. But somehow Fairvote got them, but the rest of us didn't. Uh, and so who knows, maybe there were other things. We just don't no know. kidding. Yeah, it, it, was, yeah. It, was all, it was all wild. Um, yeah. I, I, we just go on and on and on about Alameda. <laughs> can't say enough. Yeah, I, I think just one point um, is that on that previous slide, the, the first error where you gave a candidate multiple rankings or multiple scores, you could mess up a star ballot that way. Ideally, you would then like cross it off and mark which one you meant to do. But error two and error three in ranked choice voting are really, really common. And they're both totally mm -hmm. valid ways to vote on a star ballot. So when we say rankings easier than scoring, it's like error two is, you know, maybe that voter's honest opinion. Um, error three is, you know, should be totally fine and star voting that's completely allowed. Mm. So on that next slide, we kind of get into how many voters are making these types of errors in ranked choice voting and failing, you know, to fill out the ballot correctly. So this is more voter data from that same um, same election. And what they found was that a bunch of voters were voting, um, were ranking multiple candidates at the same level, saying, I like these two people about equally. Mm -hmm. And in 
some precincts that was way more people and in some precincts that was way less common. So we can gather that this is like a voter education issue. But when we look at the data really more closely in Oakland, um, that kind of red edge in that graphic is your low income people of color. Um, precincts that have lower income and precincts that have a statistically higher number of people of color and historically marginalized communities. And they were giving, um, they were messing up their ballots and giving specifically that thing of showing, I like these two candidates equally. Over 11% of voters were doing that. And then when you look at the chunk of voters in blue, that's your wealthiest communities. And it's only like 1%, 2% that are making that error. So this ballot being so difficult to, you know, or just so easy to mess up is really hurting some communities more than others. And I think that's something that is kind of unacceptable. I will say part of it is the instructions on the ballot are terrible. Mm. Uh, they were, they were yeah. really bad, not descriptive, um, and then it gave voters bad instructions. Um, mm -hmm. It basically said you cannot do, let's see here, so you can't do more than one bubble per row, but it should have also said you can't do more than one bubble per column, and it left that direction out. And so what we actually saw was a lot of voters, um, I don't know if we have a slide for this, um, but, uh, well, yeah, you can go back to the one where that shows the three different types of errors. So the columns are, you fill out one because you only have one first choice, one second choice, one third choice. A row would be for a candidate. I'm thinking of a candidate multiple. So the instructions said you cannot have multiple levels and not say for the column. And we saw some precincts where there were a lot of voters. There were five ranks on, the, on these ballots where a lot of voters, as high as 13% of voters, were successfully not filling out multiple bubbles in the same row. They were giving each candidate one rank, but they were filling out multiple bubbles in the same column. And kind of what we are starting to glean from that is that, oh, these voters were filling out these ballots like a five-star ballot, like a score ballot. Like they were scoring the candidates and they were doing it competently, <laughs> like it was intentional because they, they, they still, you know, and so like you see that one through five and people just auto a lot of people will just automatically jump to scoring. Oh, um, wow. And yeah. so like, it's a pretty like, you know, we have to actually pull those voters to know exactly what they think. Um, but like, this is, this is the thing that, that this, this new data is showing us. And again, if this is in somewhere that's been using ranked choice voting for at least a decade, maybe 12 years. Um, and so it's, it's pretty incredible to see. And I think like, potentially a really solid argument for scoring over ranking just because the zero on the score ballot just immediately makes it obvious and clear that this is not ranking, this is scoring. Right. Yeah. And so an interesting little side piece of data is that there actually was that polling. Um, people, it wasn't a huge poll. I'd love to see better science and more study on this. But they actually went out in the Bay Area and asked people where they've been using ranked choice voting the longest to explain how does ranked choice voting work. And lots of people said, you know, the rankings are translated into scores and then you add up the scores and the highest scoring candidate wins, which is, um, that is a voting method. It's a better voting method, um, but it's not the way ranked choice voting actually works. 
So it turns out many people who think, oh yeah, ranked choice voting is easy, it's simple. Um, voters won't mess it up and they understand how it works. Most people actually assume that it works quite differently than it does. Somebody said this is a rules problem, not a not an RCF problem. R, R, I'm sorry, RCV problem. A response to that? Yeah. So again, they they had bad instructions on the ballot in this specific race in the specific jurisdiction. But the previous slide, um, again with the three errors on the left, they had perfect instructions in that study. So. Mm -hmm. We have, um, we have many different jurisdictions using ranked choice and the results are consistent that lower income voters um, by precinct have more voter errors and statistically a lot more than they had before they switched to RCV. Shall we move on and to the video? Are we, are there more? Okay. <laughs> Sorry about so that. so much wrong there. No, that's, that's all right. I gotta do this again. <clears throat> I accidentally closed it. There we go. And isn't warp by low turnout like score voting can be? Yeah, do you want to address that last point? Uh, so to approval we voting. We can just move on. It. I think it's already spread. Yeah, oh, okay. it's not a voting method dependent. Okay low turnout like score voting can be. Ranked choice voting is more complicated than both approval and score voting. Similar to score voting, most voters may struggle with ranking candidates and may even become overwhelmed by it. Not only that, theoretically, the person with the most votes could end up losing the election. Also, in almost all cases, it would be more expensive for the election offices to implement, at least in the beginning. And finally, it would take a bit longer to find out the results of the election. And you know, what's interesting is that... Um, I when I made this video, yeah, clearly the the cons outnumber the the pros, and I didn't do that for the other voting methods, did I? So I kind of already knew that ranked choice voting was the kind of the the dud of all the alternative <laughs> voting methods. Anything? I, obviously, we've already talked about like at least probably seven things <laughs> negative uh, things about ranked choice voting. What else are, are we have we yeah. not brought up yet? So I'm actually going to come to ranked choice voting's defense this time. Um, oh, okay. And your second bullet point says voters may struggle ranking candidates. So we already explained, yes, voters can do it wrong and void their ballot. But most voters can successfully rank things. And most voters, um, FairVote has lots of polling that shows that voters don't feel like it's complicated. They feel like they're doing a good job and they feel like you know, being able to show preferences is empowering. So in terms of, you know, is it hard to rank things? I, I think that's an oversold attack. And, um, and definitely, this is a side note, but there are other better ranked methods where you can rank candidates equally and you can skip rankings, like ranked Robin or Condorcet methods in general. So better ranked methods, um, don't have these problems. Hmm. Yeah, and kind of again on that, like, yes, scoring is cognitively easier than ranking, but we're talking about an election. You know, it's, it's you know at most a couple times a year. 
you know, the solution to that problem is empowering voters with, um, you know, state sponsored, you know, voter pamphlets and, and like giving them and voting at home. So people have the time to, to make the decisions. Um, and like, it's, yeah, like, yes, rank, ranking is cognitively more difficult than scoring, but like, it's not, it's not a good argument against ranked choice voting, in my opinion. I think that there are much more compelling points um, that, are, that are worth talking about. And also, and this is true of all voting methods, this is true of approval, this is true of STAR. If you're a given voter and, and you're old school and you just, you just want to vote somebody else, under all of these methods, you can just rank them first or give them the highest score or just prove them and leave everybody else blank and you'll be fine. And that's a valid ballot. Um, and, and that's okay. And you should be empowered to, to vote your conscience. And if that is, if that is how you honestly feel, um, that's okay. Um, so that's, that's, that's there as well. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, so before we move on to, uh, how star voting is way better than ranked choice voting or any other voting method for that matter, in all our opinions, uh, and the data shows that too. Do we, are we going to say anything else about ranked choice voting before moving on? I kind of want to talk about non-monotonicity, but I don't know. Maybe we can <laughs> for later. Say what? What? Okay. Do I need to Google something, something here? Or we... No, I can describe it in a more intuitive way. So this okay. is a really wild thing that can and does happen in ranked choice voting, where um, you vote in an election and not only does it, like your vote actively backfires, it like actively helps your last choice candidate win. And, and it goes further, if you had ranked your last choice strategically, ranked your last choice first and ranked them first, that would have caused that candidate to lose. It would have caused your last choice to lose instead of winning. This is a real thing that happens. Uh, and we have three examples that we know of in US public elections, uh, Burlington, Vermont, 2009, uh, Moab, Utah, 2021, and the special election in Alaska in uh, August 2022. Um, and there are probably a bunch more out there that we're not aware of because the full ballot data has not been released. Um, this is this is like common enough in competitive elections that it matters, but it's, it's a pretty insane. Okay, so yeah, so we've got one example here. So we saw that like Montrol uh, was the candidate who like head to head beat out both Kiss and Wright was preferred over all others. Um, but Montrol, you know, he was, he got a lot of second choice votes, but Montrol didn't get quite enough first choice votes and was eliminated early on. Um, and then, uh, and then Kiss was able to come in and, and beat Wright. However, if the voters who ranked Wright first and Montrol second had instead uh, ranked Kiss a good chunk of them had, had ranked KISS first, and KISS would have lost. And the reason that would have happened is because Wright's percentage in the first round would have been lower and lower and lower, and low enough to the point where Wright would have been eliminated first, Montrol would have gone on, and Montrol would have beat KISS. This is complicated, and if you don't understand what I just said, it's okay. The <laughs> point is, this is an unintuitive, wild, crazy thing that in for single winner elections can really only happen with ranked choice voting. And it is, I think, just the most extreme form of voter betrayal that you could possibly have. And you could prevent your worst case scenario by voting for them. It's insane. It doesn't make any sense. And uh, there's a and, and it's it's just it's pretty wild and that it's it continues to happen in real competitive elections. And uh, 
to me, again, it's like, these are the wild things that, like you're just not going to hear about until you start doing the deep dive. Go ahead, Sarah. Yeah. I'll just add to that um, why it makes sense. So with, with the current system, if I'm, you know, voting third party, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wasting my vote. I could have voted in a way that would have made a difference and helped me get a better winner, but my vote didn't have an impact either way. Um, we say things like a vote for Stein is a vote for Trump or whatever, but that's hyperbole. Like worst case scenario in our current system, your vote is dead neutral. But non-monotonicity is an electoral reform criterion where voting for somebody hurts them and voting against somebody can help them. And the reason that happens is because changing the order of elimination can change the winner. And it's, again, it's because most of the rankings people put down are never counted. So, and there's, an, there's a really important counter argument. Somebody in the comments that I'm not reading has probably already made this counter argument, but you know, there's an argument to say, you know, maybe Montreal shouldn't have won. He had the least first choice votes. Maybe he wasn't that popular. Um, sure, he's preferred, but he's kind of this like mealy mouth centrist candidate who doesn't stand for anything. And we don't want that kind of winner. We want people who are going to take real positions on policy. And that's why ranked choice voting actually did get the right outcome in this example and the other ones we're going to get to. And my response to that hypothetical person in the comments is that all we have to go on here are the voters' rankings. And according to those voter ballots, Montreal was the preferred candidate. Um, he may well have been the five-star vote of both, um, you know, KISS voters might have also given him five stars, or they might have given him four stars if we'd had star voting, in which case he absolutely deserves to win. Um, but we don't know that because we don't have that extra ballot data. So it's really these competitive elections where when we look at a ranked choice fail scenario, and I would say that this election and the other two that we're talking about are fails of the system to elect the correct winner. It's not that we can guarantee that this was the wrong winner. It's that ranked choice voting failed to make the case for why this person should have won. And this is the kind of scenario where voters will realize they've been lied to, um, right voters, the Republicans. Um, this is Burlington, Vermont. Republicans already knew they weren't gonna win the election. So in the old system, they would have strategically voted for their lesser evil and prevented their worst case scenario. But they were told, you know, you don't have to vote lesser evil. Your next choice will be counted. Um, they were told that the spoiler effect is eliminated. And so they voted their conscience and that's where they really got screwed. That, so I that's just gonna... Repeals. So Burlington, Vermont repealed ranked choice voting their next chance. And that's our fear is that passing reforms that backfire will cause the voting reform movement at large to backfire and we'll end up stuck with the status quo. Um, I guess like... Uh... The thing that's still in my head this like that makes ranked choice voting at least somewhat appealing is that you're forced to compare uh, to whoever happens to be sharing the ballot with you. But like uh, 
can you like maybe hit at that that counter that a little bit more because I haven't really heard you counter that yet. Like because that's a that's a good thing. We want that because it's not you know, if it's a uh, Santa Claus versus Jesus, uh you're you're not comparing Jesus to um I don't know, uh <laughs> Big Bird. It's not uh why why yeah, go ahead. So I will say if if you're if the thing you care about is like we're comparing candidates to other candidates, then what you want is a method that does that. Um, and that would be a Condorcet method. It's a family of voting methods. Ranked Robin is in that family of voting methods. Um, and there are other voting methods as well. You can do that with scoring ballots as well. So star voting does that. Um, not It doesn't do every comparison, but it does a comparison between the two highest scoring candidates head to head. Um, and and, and we'll, we'll get to that. Um, so there are, if, if what you're talking about is you want to compare candidates, um, yeah, I see what you're saying about the rank, the rank ballot, like very naturally does that, but you want to have a, an appropriate natural tally to go along with that, that matches that philosophical preference. Um, and rank choice voting doesn't do that. It's not doing head to head comparisons unless, unless and except for the, a, a final round with exactly two candidates um, in the final round. Um, yeah. We have a specific ranked Robin page two. Um, that might be a little bit easier to understand. Yeah. Um, so we don't, I don't know if we want to get into ranked Robin right now. Uh, we can. Just super briefly, maybe say what it is and then I'll add in yeah. my thoughts that I want to say. So ranked Robin is really, you rank candidates in order of preference. Equal ranks are allowed. Candidates left blank are ranked last. Um, the, the short version of explaining the tally that I like to give is the candidate preferred over the most the most others is elected, and that's it. Candidate preferred over the most others is elected. You want me to break? I can break that down a little bit more with the with the description that's on this ballot, which is candidates are compared in one on one matchups. A candidate wins a matchup if they are ranked higher than their opponent by more voters. Whoever wins the most matchups is elected. Um, so that's a, mm -hmm. a slightly more detailed breakdown. Um, yeah. 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 And um, so I'll, I'll just add ranked Robin is actually really a rebrand of one of the oldest voting methods out there. So um, the idea that you rank the candidates and then you elect the one who's preferred all, over all others, or at least that you elect the one who's preferred over the most other candidates is a very old concept. And the election science finds that it is highly accurate and quite resilient to strategic voting as well. It tests pretty much on par with star voting. So for people who are like, it's a ranked ballot or, or nothing for me, this is a hill I'm gonna die on, you can have a ranked ballot and get great results. Um, but for me, the, the thing that I think makes star voting really shine is that you're looking at two different things and it's the age old debate of quality versus quantity. So quality is like, how much do we like these different candidates? Um, do we love them? Do we hate them? Do we kind of like them? Do we think that they're a little bit problematic? And a five-star ballot really lets you show how much or how little you like the candidates. Um, but it also lets us show our preference order, which means how many physical voters prefer Andre over Blake. With a star ballot, you can tell that. And that's exactly how the runoff works. 
So the two highest scoring candidates are finalists. And in that automatic runoff, you don't have to vote again. Your ballot already shows which finalists you prefer. And in that case, Andre is my favorite. I gave him five stars and he wins. We know exactly how many voters preferred him. And we get a really kind of simple election result. But if it did come down to say Blake versus Ella, my my second to last and my last choice, um, you know, in a traditional election, if my favorite can't win, my vote just doesn't make a difference. But with star voting, you're able to show your preference order, show your level of support. And if it comes down to it, I can show I prefer Blake over Ella. And in that runoff, my vote is not one star strong. It's one ballot. So it really is one person, one vote. And the finalist with the most votes wins. I just want to say that Ella is a good person, just wouldn't make a good politician. <laughs> yeah, and just to clarify, this is absolutely not Ella Fitzgerald. Yeah. We should probably change the name there. <laughs> no, yeah, just some random names. Uh, okay, I, I almost feel like... what reacting to my the rest of my video would like do more harm than good but uh shall we <laughs> i think shall we shall we finish it? finish it we'll okay okay yeah yeah um let's... well uh, i will say you finished strong i think you did an incredible job you know showcasing all the different voting methods really looking at them through a nuanced lens looking at pros and cons. And so um, we're actually here to, to roast people who intentionally misrepresent what voting methods can and can't do. But the fact that you did your best, you cited actually what should be good sources and, um, and then still came to, I think, a good conclusion overall means that this is an anti-roast of Mr. B. You actually did okay. a pretty good well, it also helped that I was already like very biased towards star voting. And I mean, I don't remember who introduced it to me, but it was, I remember uh, spending several hours afterward, like looking, I was like, how did I never hear about this? This is like, I was so uh, excited. Uh, and so, yeah, like it's, it's kind of sad that more people don't know about it, but let's, yeah, let's finish this. Take a bit longer to find out the results of the election. In my opinion, though, the real star is star voting. Star voting is kind of a combination of score voting. What's that? You're not showing the video on the stream right now. Oh, my bad. Sorry. You missed the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got to play that part over again, though. It's a... The real star. All right, here we go. Results of the election. <laughs> In my opinion, though, the real star is star voting. Star voting is kind of a combination of score voting and ranked choice voting. Star stands for score, then automatic runoff. You would vote in a similar way you would vote for score voting. So you'd rate the candidates on a numerical scale, typically between zero and five, with five representing best and zero representing worst. However, what makes star voting different than score voting is how the votes are counted. There are two rounds of counting the votes. In the first round, or scoring round, all the scores for each candidate are added up and averaged. The two candidates with the highest score... They're just totaled, right? Usually. Yeah, it's just totals. It's going to give you the same exact results either way. Yeah. It makes no difference. Um, I will say the range on star voting is always zero to five. Always. 
Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that, that comes back to the cognitive load theory that Sarah was talking about. Um, it actually was a, the original proposal was zero to nine. It was then later reduced to zero to five after uh, more study was done and pulled more people. And uh, zero to five is just much more is much more in line with what's natural for people. That's another point is that you know you need the voting method needs to align with the way people naturally you know express themselves in the world. And mm -hmm. have Mm -hmm. Yeah. So humans have five fingers. We have um, cognitive load shows that we actually like to have options up to five, six, seven. But after seven or eight or nine, we start to get overwhelmed. And like with toothpaste. There's too many toothpaste. I'm telling you. There's <laughs> way too many kinds of breakfast cereal. So um, and that's one of the things that's incredible about using a scoring system or a rating system it's one of the most widely used formats in human history, thanks part, in part to the internet, but also to all sorts of public opinion surveys. Public opinion is almost always measured with ratings. And one of the things they've found is that, let's say we use a zero through 100 scale. That'd be like way more granular data, right? It'd be fantastic. No, voters will almost always give people a zero, a 100, a, um, a 99, a one, and a 50. Hmm. <laughs> so they yeah. use the edges of the scale, almost the edges in the middle. And so <laughs> if we have a, a dead middle point, people will use that a lot. If it's an um, even number of options, like zero through five is actually six options, then we have two middle points. So three and four, um, two and three are both in the middle there. So star voting specifically designed to maximize expression within the confines of cognitive load and to really incentivize people to use all those options. Okay. Yeah. Scores are selected as finalists for the second round. In the second round, or automatic runoff round, the finalists face off on every single ballot. Whoever of the two have a higher score on each ballot gets a vote. If both of the two are tied, neither of the two gets a vote. At the end of the second round, whichever finalist has the most ballots with a higher score than the other finalist wins. Well, Bobby wins again. Hey, what does that say about approval voting? Hmm. Yeah, talking all trash about approval, but honestly, I like approval way better than rank choice now. Uh, yeah, let's just, I'll just play this part first, then we'll. Star voting takes the best of all worlds. You get to score candidates, and they are compared in a second round. The Center for Election Science even has found it's the most accurate voting method. Unlike with ranked choice voting, voters can give multiple candidates the same score. Star voting's biggest problem is not that it sucks, it's that people just don't know about it. It's the least familiar of these four voting reforms, having not even been tried in the real world. Yeah. Okay. That's it has been tried, though. You corrected me on that. Where has it been tried? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. So star voting is the one of the newest voting methods out there. And the, the path from being invented and, and coined and named to being tried was really, really fast. So only a couple of years actually 
so I think this is a, a case of necessity as the mother of invention. We really needed a voting method that could deliver on all of these fantastic talking points. And for me, I was pretty married to my elevator pitch. Once I learned it, I didn't want to change it. I just wanted a system that could do the things that I said it did. Um, so the Democratic Party of Oregon used star voting statewide for their delegate selection elections to the Democratic National Convention, which is a mouthful. But um, in short, Oregon's presidential delegates were elected using star voting in 2020 statewide. And that was a success. It was also a really stress test scenario. So in terms of delegate elections, we had Bernie delegates, we had Hillary delegates, and tons of people wanted to be a Bernie delegate in particular. So that was a massive ballot. And if we had a ballot where you can choose one only, it would basically be random winner. And if we had a ranked ballot, it would be really, really weird as well. So we had, I think, 50 candidates and a five-star ballot really handles that perfectly. You can show a pretty granular opinion of, you know, I love, like, mediocre, fine, meh, bad. Yeah. And then the Independent Party of Oregon used it for their statewide primary. Um, the Independent Party is actually a political party in Oregon. And so they used it for their statewide primary in 2020 as well. And then we have a number of political parties all over the country who are using it in their um, internal processes and party elections for chair of the party treasurer secretary and delegates and committee members and all of that kind of thing. So if you want to use star voting, definitely send us an email at elections at equal dot vote. And we have a brilliant team of little literal rocket scientists and geniuses who are volunteering their time to build cutting edge, secure election software, whether you want to do online or paper ballots. Yes, plug. Please. Yeah, go for it. So, okay. Use it. We're here um, to help. I've, I've got, I've got things. Um, okay. You'd said if you score two candidates equally, and neither get a vote. That is technically correct, but that's um, there's a little bit. It's better than what that sounds like. So, if you happen to score both finalists equally, your vote is actively counted as a vote of no preference. Right. So the final tally always has three numbers: mm, okay. the number of votes for the first finalist, the number of votes for the second finalist, and the number of votes of no preference. And this is really, really important. Um, Right now on our current system, if you vote for a non-viable candidate, your vote is still counted and it still affects the percentage of the vote that all the other candidates got. Uh, and that matters and it affects your mandate to lead of the winner and, and all these things, whether or not they got a majority. Um, and so uh, it's important that you are free to score multiple candidates equally if you genuinely have no preference between them. And if it comes down to it, and those happen to be the two, your vote will be counted as a vote of no preference. Um, mm. I, I just want to, I think it's helpful just to look at some examples. So I'm actually going to use the, this ballot I happen to have on me, I think has, I can give three really great examples. So let's say this is your ballot, it's got a bunch of fantastic Star Wars characters on it. Um, let's say your two finalists are uh, Darth Vader and Boba Fett. So Darth Vader is your real bad guy, Boba Fett's your bounty hunter. 
You gave Boba Fett one star uh, because you felt Boba Fett was a lesser evil. If it came down to Boba Fett and Darth Vader, you'd rather have Boba Fett. So if those are your two finalists, your full vote goes equally as powerful as every other voter, no matter what. And it helps to prevent your worst case scenario when it's the two worst candidates. But let's say the two finalists are uh, Princess Leia and Luke Skywalker. Between those two, you gave Leia five stars, Luke four stars. Luke's a fantastic backup. Great second. second. Um, your full vote goes to Princess Leia. And so in the best cases, you actually get to pick between your favorites. Um, and then one more example, if it was Han Solo and C-3PO, both of them you gave three stars. Uh, between those two, your vote would be counted as a vote of no preference because you showed that between the two, you don't have a preference. And you are empowered you are empowered to vote honestly, vote your conscience, and, and show any and all of that if you choose to. And your vote will be counted no matter what in Star Voting. Yeah. Okay. And it's it's super common. We do lots of polls so that people can get used to Star Voting. And um, the Democratic Party primary you know, with like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, they're both progressives. They have really the same platform. They're friends. Most people in most of our polls scored those two people equally. And right. um, so, you know, whether you like them or you love them, the the point is that you helped them beat out the other candidates or vice versa. You know, maybe you hate them, but your votes counted. It makes a difference. Okay. Let's just finish this up here. Similar to ranked choice voting, it's more complicated than approval and score voting and would be more expensive for election offices to implement. Those uh, more or less fair points. That last one's technically correct, but you have to look at the whole landscape. So Sarah, you go ahead. Yeah, so in terms of it being more complicated than approval and score voting, um, in terms of the tally, all three of those methods are simple addition. Um, in star voting, you add up the stars, then you add up the votes. Um, so I would say those are all quite simple. In terms of strategic voting, with star voting, you don't really have to. So I would say that's simpler. And then in terms of implementation, would it be more expensive? Um, voter education is the most expensive part of voting reform implementation. And regardless what voting method you're going out there with, you really do have to invest in voter education. So I'm not here to say like, let's cut costs across the board and you know, don't spend any money on your star voting implementation. Um, absolutely invest in your voter education, do your voter education in multiple languages. But with star voting, whether or not you know what you're doing or you listen, um, to, you know, your PSAs or you read those instructions, your ballot is going to be counted. You're not going to avoid your ballot because you're not an educated voter. Um, and then in terms of cost of implementation, just like the physical cost of the upgrade, star voting is just a software upgrade. This is Scantron level technology. So it's compatible with election, um, with voting machines all over the country. And also because it does allow for that local tabulation and it's just addition, it's compatible with risk limiting auditing and local hand count protocols and whatever your election law says your process is, you can just easily adapt that to star voting. So I would say it's very affordable 
And then within a couple of election cycles, because star voting is highly accurate with any number of candidates in the race, with star voting, we can actually eliminate unnecessary primaries. So for nonpartisan elections, we already have all the candidates on the ballot. We could just vote once in November. And that would save a ton of money. So within a couple of election cycles, in most places, star voting should be actually a cost savings and be you know, putting us ahead, not behind. Um, yeah, and I will say again on just the like the physical implementation and logistics, like, you know, you might need a few more, you know, um, election official hours for star voting and for star voting election than you would like approval voting or like a, a wider ballot, which is a little bit more paper. Um, but the difference between like a, implementing approval voting and implementing star voting in terms of those types of costs is effectively zero compared to the cost of implementing ranked choice voting the first time. Um, ranked choice voting almost always requires hardware upgrades, although it's becoming less common and, and there are a lot of machines that need to be upgraded these days. Um, but changes of like, oh, now you need to centralize everything. You can't just use the same decentralized simple addition tallies that you've been using before and all the extra, you know, election security between for that, um, that, that is very expensive. Um, and you don't have any of those additional costs with uh, with star voting or approval voting. You don't need hardware upgrades. You don't need to change your your overall logistical processes. It's just it's little tweaks um, at the local level. Um, and so compared to ranked choice, star voting and approval voting cost almost the same. Okay. Uh, I we are we have some good questions that have come in. Uh, I think I'm done playing the video because it has been a couple of hours and I, I want to make sure we can answer yeah. questions. Like we have some dedicated viewers here that are really into this stuff like we are. So I want to make sure we, uh, their voices are heard. Ah, get it. Uh, I love how you, your, your screen froze and you're taking a drink. It was awesome. Uh, <laughs> star voting sticker on the man. That's, that's awesome. Um, so my, first of all, before we go to the audience questions, uh, I do have one more question for you. And there's a lot of my, a lot of my viewers are really into proportional voting. Um, other countries have proportional voting. It makes perfect sense, especially with um, House of Representatives uh, in particular that come to mind, um, especially if we like expand the number of districts in the country. Uh, wouldn't you be able to make ranked choice voting work at least work better if instead of having a single winner, you actually had proportional ranked choice voting. So what do you think about that? Yeah. So proportional representation is a novel concept in the U S from a global perspective. It's absolutely not a new idea anymore. And for elections like legislative seats where you really want to see all voices at the table, I think it's important and worth it. But um, single transferable vote is the name of proportional ranked choice voting. And what that is, is basically all the complexities of single winner ranked choice that we've been explaining with all the flaws and issues with it. Um, and then you add a bunch more layers of complexity. So it's easy to say, you know, if a candidate had a quarter of the voters, they should win a quarter of the seats. It's pages and pages of algorithm in practice. So in terms of election security and scalability, I think there's some real issues there. 
So for us, we think proportional representation is really important. It's an absolutely key piece of the larger election reform puzzle. And one of the things that we think we have and that we want to offer as the Equal Vote Coalition is to say whether you want a single winner, an executive office, or you want a multi-winner election where you get the couple of most popular, most broadly, strongly supported candidates, or if you want a proportional representation result, we've got a great voting method that is as simple as possible, that is totally fair to all the voters. You're not going to have wasted votes and sideways backfiring situations. And um, so there's proportional approval voting um, and proportional methods. Oh, you got this slide. Thank you. Ooh, this is a beauty. I, I want a poster of this in my <laughs> studio. I love these like magazine quizzes, you know, where you're like, what kind of person am I? But um, yeah, so if you want a voting method that is proportional, where you can vote your conscience, where every vote's equally powerful, and so on, um, just do a proportional representation version of a great single winner method. I'm going to put this in the public uh, chat. Uh, this is yeah. great. Yeah. Proportional so star say, voting called star PR. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, with their proportional representation methods, pretty much all the good single winner voting methods and some of the bad ones too. Uh, and, uh, there are, as a really important, um, this, this, like proportional representation advocacy in the U.S. right now is often proportional representation or bust. That's like, it's really misguided. Um, it's proportional representation can be really awesome. It can also be really bad. It, and, and a lot of it depends on a lot of really um, specific details that like most people are not informed on because they're quite, they can be, they can be kind of hard to piece all together. Force representation really complicated, really fast. And so we have to be very careful just, just in like in this conversation about which reform are we going to push for to make sure that voters don't feel betrayed. Um, the same thing applies to proportional representation. Um, there are countries today that implemented proportional representation, however many years ago. And that, and that became a major contributing factor to civil wars that they're having today. It's not everywhere. There are countries where proportional representation has made things significantly better, but it has this huge range of what kinds of what you can end up with. And so we have to be really smart and really careful about the systems we choose to go with um, because like, this is really important. We owe it to voters to get it right. Um, and so, you know, there are lots of really great conversations to representation we're definitely not going to get to all of it today um but uh i, I just want to like if you're excited about proportional representation i encourage you to slow down a little bit and and just and just take just keep diving into it and learning more and more about it because there's there's just so much to know and to, to learn about all the little pieces of the puzzle that fit together to make sure that we get this right yeah right. and i i want to just add that um one of the reasons that I really love star voting in particular, and when I say star voting um, on Twitter or, you know, places where you're not getting my entire thesis, um, you know, often when I say star voting, I mean single winner, multi-winner or proportional star voting. But, um, but 
one of the things I really love about the star voting package is accountability and accountability comes into play when you're looking at, let's say you've elected a candidate. Um, hopefully they were pretty popular when their campaign was going, they get into office and it turns out they told you what they wanted to hear, told, told you what you wanted to hear. Um, they lied to you, they accepted your donation and then they did the complete other thing. Um, that is a scenario where me as a voter, I want to vote that candidate out. I'm upset. I don't like them and I need my accountability. And with star voting, because you don't have to vote for the candidate on my on your side who you think can win, you can vote against an incumbent who you voted for without worrying about throwing your vote to your worst case scenario. So that gives voters a ton of leverage. And proportional representation, in some cases, you know, the diversity of voices and having all of the perspectives represented at the table is obviously a huge advantage. And in some cases, that's what we need first and foremost, 100%. But if I'm able to win office with only um, with a quarter of the vote, um, then that means that 75% of the electorate could hate me absolutely hate my guts and I would still be able to re um, to get reelected. And what we see is that across the world, incumbents are almost always reelected. So if you get somebody into office, they can really leverage that platform to hold that power for a long time. And with proportional representation, you can see a very polarizing candidate with very little support and then kind of lock them in and find it very hard to get rid of them. So with a proportional expressive ballot, with a proportional star ballot, we're not only looking at how many, how many people are in this faction. You know, is it a quarter of the people are in this faction? When we look at marginalized communities and, you know, good faith people who um, you know, I may not agree with on every issue. Maybe they don't have a majority. Maybe they're people of color in Oregon, for example. Um, most people are going to like those candidates if they're reasonable, good, qualified people, even if it's not their favorite or even if, you know, that's not a candidate who would make me personally feel super represented. And star voting would be able to find those people who represent a small minority faction, but also who are non-polarizing. So non-polarization or anti-polarization is I think one of the most important reasons for star voting that we haven't talked about. And in the proportional case, polarization I think is really scary. A lot of countries have proportional systems where somebody can win with 10% of the vote or 4% of the vote, very, very low win thresholds. <clears throat> And um, like Adolf that, Hitler, <laughs> exactly, um, and Mussolini, and really some of our most polarizing and unpopular um, kind of racist type candidates have been able to rise to power with proportional representation, leverage that platform for divisive, um, toxic rhetoric, and whip people into a frenzy and then build from there. So Proportional, yes, but super low thresholds, no, um, in my opinion.
and a, a voting method that can tell the difference between, you know, 10% of the people are Nazis and 10% of the people are black. Um, you know, I think star voting can tell the difference there. Whereas <laughs> um, a non-score based ballot maybe wouldn't be able to tell the difference. So proportional with star is the best. Yeah. Uh, I have a lot of super chats that I feel bad that I never got to. So I'm going to get into those uh, as quickly as I can. First of all, uh, thank you, Stephen. Good to see you. Thanks for the donation. Just wanted to say hi. <laughs> uh, the this next person um, says I could see score voting being used for primaries, but not general elections. Uh, I mean, you know, like why not star? Go all the way. I think. Um, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. We, we mentioned Dr. Warren Smith, who's a mathematics PhD, who's really, I think, the godfather of modern election science. Um, many of us in the chat there have probably read his entire HTML website that is not <laughs> formatted whatsoever. And props to you all who've done that deep dive. But Warren Smith did a bunch of studies back in the day that showed that score voting plus a top two general election was the best voting method. Oh. And so that is basically star voting. Star voting is score voting with the top two runoff. But your ballot already shows your preference. And so ah. you don't have to vote again. So I, I think Warren Smith deserves to be credited as having kind of invented star voting, even though maybe yeah. he's like the deadbeat godfather of ranked choice. <laughs> um, oh. and then, um, Warren Smith, if you're watching this, like, come on board, please endorse. Um, there's a lot of voting theory people who are like, my system or no system. And there are a lot of people who write us all day long saying, like, I've invented a new voting method. Like, let's oh, get speaking, on board. Speaking of but which, this, there, there was this person that emailed me. Uh, <laughs> I, like, the basic premise is that every person gets a yes vote and no vote. They work like a plus one and minus one. Isn't this already a thing? This, this is this is approval voting, unless they can also give zeros, in which case there's a major flaw in this that they're not seeing. So I, I let's let, let me read this. <laughs> I just yeah. thought. Um, it's so with scoring type systems, it's really important that if a voter doesn't know or doesn't care that that's counted as a neutral vote, not an, um, that that's counted as the lowest amount of support, which is like no support. Mm. And so if you're counting, um, if you're counting negative ones, what it can do there is allow um, a tiny faction that has an opinion to beat out a candidate who, um, who actually is is much better. Yeah, so for example, so a more specific example, if you have a voting method where you have minus one, zero, and plus one, but if you leave a candidate blank, they get a zero, that gives an artificial boost to unknown, because a lot of voters are just gonna leave them blank, they get a zero, which is greater than negative one. Uh, and so and so you can end up with, you can, you can end up with results that are worse than random, actually. Um, you know, depending on um, exactly how it all works out overall over time. Um, but, uh, and there's, you know, people have tried to come up with, well, we can use this to mitigate that, but then that creates a new problem and they come up with a thing to mitigate that. And it's like, 
Yeah. You could just really simplify this by just having the default level of support being the lowest possible level of support. Um, and that, that solves it. Also, I think it's funny that a lot of people, they don't like this stuff has been studied for decades and it, like these options, like when people are like, oh, oh, I have this original idea. I'm like, okay, I'm sure it's been tried before. It had to have been tried before at this point. So star voting wasn't invented until 2014, you know? But it wasn't uh, invented because it already existed. We just, it was just two separate things combined. No one, no one thought to combine those two things, right? Because they already kind of I were mean, already there's, there's no reason to think yeah. that like Converse, uh, Nicolas de Condorcet back in the late 1700s could not have come up with it. There's no reason to think that he could not, that like that was beyond him. He just happened not, not to think of it. But I will also say it's a rite of passage to like invent a voting method and discover and think <laughs> it's amazing and perfect. And then like go post it somewhere. And then like, Everybody tears you a new one. It's like, this is a terrible idea. Like, you're not the first person to invent it, and it's wrong and bad for all of these reasons. It's like, Aww. it's a good process to go through. I've gone through it multiple times, <laughs> and I've been on the other end of it. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's yeah. not a bad thing. We, it's, it's, this is humanity. We get to communicate and talk with each other. There's a social element to it. It's not a bad thing to have an idea and want to share it with the world. Um, so I don't want to discourage people from, from you know, participating. We want it to be an open and welcoming space. Sarah, I think you can talk more on that. Yeah, I actually have a confession on this topic. So voting method design and the study of different voting methods is one of the most fascinating puzzles of our time. I know that, um, Sass, you're an expert Rubik's Cuber, and many of the people who nerd out on voting methods are like puzzlers and brilliant people who are just attracted to the beauty of the design problem that is voting reform. And so I think a lot of us like to nerd out on it as a hobby. And there's some danger there because we brought up this random voting method that that isn't that great, um, probably doesn't deserve our time. We spent maybe 10 minutes on it. And we are not theoretical armchair theorists, we're real world activists who are trying to implement better voting and prevent catastrophic problems. So something like star voting has the potential to level the playing field and prevent um, or, or maybe even solve catastrophic disparities in representation for women and people of color. It has the possibility to dramatically fight polarization and extreme polarization is war. These are real problems that are killing real people every day. And so wasting our time is, is not a good thing. We really have work to do here. So my plea for people who are like brilliant data science nerds, engineers, programmers, coders, neurodivergent people, Rubik's Cubers, um, and definitely the, the newest generation of Rubik's Cubers, they just beat like three seconds per solve, get yeah. involved with voting theory and help us study and test and vet the cutting edge voting methods because we have a shortage of peer reviewed, fantastic research on this. And we have a shortage of money to do that science. So we need our volunteers. Yeah, so I'll, I'll put a qualifier where I said, share, share your ideas in the appropriate place. Um, try to put it in a place where you're not gonna be derailing like on the ground mm -hmm. efforts. Um, so votingtheory.org. Votingtheory.org was, was made specifically for the thing that I was that we're talking about, 
about like, you've got an idea about a voting method, you go share it. That's a place where you can post about it and you can receive, you know, hope, you know constructive responses. It's moderated. Um, and, uh, and, and we want, we want people to engage. That's a great place where you can engage and you can get answers to your questions and you can learn more. And because I understand for some people, like all you're interested in is a theory. Maybe you're not an activist and, that, and that's okay. So I guess, I guess that's my qualifiers. If you want to engage in these theoretical, uh, votingtheory.org is a fantastic place to go to have those discussions. That's not going to derail the active on the ground up. Thank you, Sarah. Mm -hmm. Yes, I <clears throat> to speak about the urgency that you're kind of uh, you you brought up, Sarah. Um, and if you want to share the link, actually, I think I can pull it up here. The votingtheory.org. You said. Yep. Mm -hmm. You want to share it in the chat, maybe for them. Uh, that would be cool. But to speak on the yeah, activism exactly. side, the urgency. I do think the polarization aspect that we're seeing with current voting method methods um, is the most alarming thing to me that's what really got my got me into it to begin with as well <clears throat> um, because you do see the extremes constantly winning like you have someone like marjorie taylor green who in my opinion is one of the worst members of congress in american history and this is somebody that studies american history political history like full-time all the time um somebody like that would not be in office if we actually had a voting system that worked properly that was truly representative um but the, i have two super chats that also kind of I mean, there's this urgency on one side that's more optimistic, saying, hey, we have solutions to these problems. But there's also, on the other side, this cynicism that I see, particularly with, with Gen Z, um, that is like, you know what? It doesn't matter what we do. The, the elites are going to control everything. We lost Sarah, but I think she'll be back if she... Okay, here we go. You're back. <laughs> yeah, that happens sometimes. Um, don't forget to unmute. Um, but yeah, so uh, this, as I was saying, the cynicism still is pervasive, <clears throat> especially with a lot of younger people, which is kind of been disheartening. And I saw I got two super chats here uh, that are related to this. The first one says, "Doesn't the voting system mean nothing when our candidates are handpicked by the wealthy? All options presented are equally useful and useless." Um, and then I'm going to pair that with this other one here so we can respond to both of them simultaneously. Um, what voting system is best for preventing propaganda pushers and social media giants from influencing the vote? So I think the, the, the two uh, super chats, what they have in common is this kind of this cynicism that, hey, uh, the game is rigged no matter what we do. People who have the money kind of control things anyway. It's essentially an oligarchy, no matter how we try to reform it. What's your response to that? Uh. I'll go. Uh, so it, it being the reason that wealthy people are able to rig elections is because of the electability bias in our current system, which stems from a mechanical design flaw that we can't fix through initiative petitions and local action the same way as marriage equality and marijuana legalization. Um, in the United States, we have this ground up republic where we can do reforms in this ground up way. Um, we, you, you can, I encourage you to volunteer, actually they'll pay you to be a poll worker and you can see how votes are handled and how they're counted and that it is legit. It's, it's, actually, it's actually legit. Problems of election security in the United States, but because, but, but, 
it's actually like our elections are actually very secure. And the reason is because they've been tried and tested. And the, the most important factor is because they are decentralized and they're handled locally. And you can get involved in a variety of different ways. Um, and so uh, you, you can actually change who ends up getting elected um, if we, the types of politicians who get elected, if we change the, the mechanics of the system at the root level, um, which is like, I get where anti-electoralism comes from. I, I understand where that comes from in the United States. And I, what I say is keep studying, keep looking into it, keep learning and trying to understand all of the mechanics and the design. And you'll come to eventually come to this same conclusion that I'm giving you right now, which is that actually there are a couple key pieces that are really like enabling this that are changeable and that are fixable. Um, and so, and so, you know, if we, we saw these things, we really start a cascading effect that starts to decentralize power and put power back in the hands of the people and reduces the electability bias. Um, so this is something that we can change. Um, and, uh, and, and really like, to me, it seems like the most sustainable type of change too, because once you get a couple elections in with a better voting method, now those new people in power are people who like, they were elected by that system. They want to keep that system. Um, but it's a system that's just objectively better in so many ways and elects people who are way more representative of the people, way more accountability. Um, and so this is actually like a sustainable way to, to make uh, significant improvements in who's in power and, and how they use that power and how they're able to use that power. Yeah, I, I have two things to add to that. And that, that was fantastic. I agree, Sass. But... Um, First off, a lot of people, um, you know, kind of hate on the status quo and, and I'm one of them <laughs> and they're like, you know, it's, we're not making a difference. We're not making any progress. It can't be any better than this. Like we can't have nice things. Why even bother? But it absolutely could be worse. <laughs> so <laughs> it could be monarchy. It could be um, dictatorship. And I think a lot of us in the States are pretty spoiled. And um, a lot of people are currently very disenfranchised and they're not the ones saying we don't need better elections. We don't need um, voting reform. They're the ones saying I'm living, you know, month to month and I don't have time to volunteer. So for those of us who have the privilege and the ability to work on these issues, please show up and, and try. Or if you're not gonna try, um, keep your negativity to yourself because we absolutely can do this and we can make a difference. And this is one of the most, I think, effective places we can volunteer in the entire world of activism. So when we look at causes that we might volunteer for, when we look at like saving the environment or something, um, there are massive issues like corporate personhood, um, where we need a constitutional convention to get rid of that. We need a majority of states to agree and then to vote yes again. Like that's that's a long game. It's very important work. I'm not going to say that star voting is more important than that one. But star voting is already legal. It's already constitutional all over the country. And all we have to do is, um, in a lot of places, a citizen-led ballot initiative, which is very difficult. I'm not going to say it's easy, 
Um, I've tried and failed in the past, but we got 48% of the vote. Our very first try was star voting. So this is completely doable. A lot of people were like, oh, you tried and you failed. So you're a failure and we should give up forever. Um, those people were never helping in the first place. <laughs> what that showed to me is that there's an appetite for this, that there's a political path forward and that we can do this. And we should absolutely have just tried a little bit harder. If all those people who said, star voting, you know, you're trying to change the voting method with a grassroots movement in a small town in Oregon. Um, good luck. If like two of those people had showed up and helped collect signatures in 2020, we would have made the ballot. So, you know, and Eugene voters, when we look at the precinct level data, I'm in Eugene right now, um, Eugene voters have already voted yes, a majority of them. So I think star voting is not only one of the easiest, like catastrophically impactful or not, not catastrophic, but um, the positive version of that word. Um, Wait, no, that's also not right. Fabulously impactful causes that we could get involved with. Um, it's also the one in terms of order of operations that I think we should do first. Absolutely. That's what I tell people all the time. It's like, goodness, doesn't matter what you're passionate about. It all comes back to voting. It's, mm -hmm. it's futile. If it, like, you got to start with voting reform, you, everything else can, is not like you were saying earlier. Uh, this is something that's already constitutional. That really, uh, that's a strong. <laughs> yeah. I, I read all constitutions to determine that. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was a rough couple of weeks. Sarah was in Canada. I was trying to buy my things. Yeah. Oof. Like, yeah. Delegating is, is really difficult. What is, what's a labor intensive task that hasn't been done that somebody smart really needs to do first. So we have a great chart on that already and we have a great article on that coming up. Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, and I just, I think this is now, now is as good a time as any to talk about what we're currently doing for star voting in Eugene. But I want sure. to back up and just lay out the timeline real quick. So star voting was invented in 2014. And then this really fantastic study by Dr. Jameson Quinn came out in 2017 that measured um, the accuracy of different voting methods through simulations. It's now the gold standard. It's called efficiency. But he's tested star voting. And star voting topped the charts. It did way better than anybody expected. And that inspired the first star voting campaign, which uh, was like wild, incredible, Sarah, you were part of that. And um, like at first, like when they decided they wanted to do the campaign, it wasn't even called star voting yet. Like they were still deciding what to name it. And uh, there was no organization, there was no funding. Nobody ever heard of this before, um, but they like got it on the ballot in Lane County. Um, it was, had a terrible ballot title that didn't even say star voting in the ballot title. Um, it was the question for it was by itself on the back of the ballot. And still somehow this brand new thing nobody ever heard of managed to get 40% countywide in 2018, which is way This was supposed to just be like a, a, a dream shot flop, like that it almost passes insane. Yeah. And, and within in county, I just let me just let me just get to this last statistic. Within Lane okay. County, Eugene alone. Uh, voted 54% yes. And that was in 2018. And now, Sarah, do you want to break it? Or do you want me to do it? I just have, I want you to do it, but I just have a quick thing to add. 
But um, when people hear about Eugene, Oregon, you might think of hippies or progressives or people like lefties. And Lane County actually goes all the way from the Cascade Range to the coast and has tons of rural Oregon. And rural Oregon is definitely pretty conservative. So that's an actually very bipartisan group of voters. And what we found wasn't just that Eugene voters voted yes and rural people voted no. It was every single precinct where we had at least one lawn sign voted yes. Every single cool. precinct that we had no lawn signs voted no. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the really exciting news, and this is this is public, a lot of people know about this, is that now going into the 2024 election cycle, we are currently collecting signatures on a brand new initiative petition for star voting just in Eugene, uh, which is super exciting. Um, we're funded, we're organized, uh, we have really killer volunteers and, and fantastic canvassers um, and, and, uh, and, and the, the even more local learned about this and, and are in favor of it and are super excited about it. Um, and we are hitting the pavement hard and we're going to make it on the ballot and it's going to be on the May 2024 primary ballot in Eugene and Eugene voters are going to vote yes and we're going to pass it, which is super exciting. And uh, so that's just really awesome. Start voting is coming. Um, and we also, in addition to the local campaign, we're also doing a statewide ballot initiative across Oregon for star voting, same thing. Uh, and we're excited to, to try to get that on the November 2024 ballot. So Oregon voters all across the state can have star voting, which would be super exciting as well. But yes, this is this is like the really, really cool thing that we're doing and that we're uh, pouring so many hours into. Uh, it's, it's quite exhilarating. We can't stop ourselves. Yeah. So yeah. the goal is um, to get star voting implemented on a larger scale and really grow the body of evidence that it works in the real world as well. So yeah. when we look at the pros and cons of star voting, it's like you said, star voting is just still pretty new. It's topped the charts in every single study that's ever included it. Um, and I just published my first peer reviewed article in constitutional political economy Um that our voting and the equal vote and what that really means and that gets into some of these statistics and simulations looking at strategic voting looking at honest voting looking at different criteria and how can we how should we compare voting methods but um it's come a very long way in a short period of time and again i think a lot of people think you know, this is such an important cause, voting reform, and we just need to get something done now. So let's just do ranked choice voting. It's what the most people have heard of. It's by far the most funded. They're spending multi, multi dozens of millions of dollars in multiple states all over the country all the time. And the forward party um, has made it their like one specific part of their platform. Except for yeah. Oregon. Fort Oregon's been uh, working with us a lot. Which is oh, good yeah. for them. Oregon's always been doing their separate thing. <laughs> Just like Maine, uh, too. Shout out to Maine. <laughs> yeah. But in terms of um, in terms of the question of like, isn't shouldn't we just do something? Isn't something better than nothing? I really want to throw out Alaska as a cautionary tale for voting reform advocates. 
And my ask for everybody is please stop selling ranked choice voting with false or oversold claims. So when I look at this from a personal perspective, it, it kind of is triggering because, you know, I've had abusive relationships in the past with dating and with ranked choice, you know, I met it, I fell for it. Um, it told me exactly what I wanted to hear with rose colored glasses. I, you know, did a little digging. I did a little vetting. I asked a couple of friends and they were all like, oh yeah, it looks great on the surface. Um, and then I realized that my pitch was false and I'd been miseducating people for literally years, which I find very offensive because not only had I told a lot of people, you know, all of these oversold claims, I had donated and then that money had been spent on passing reforms that literally don't do what they claim to do. So if ranked choice voting hadn't been so catastrophically oversold for decades, then I could say in terms of outcomes, it's a little better. It tests, um, most people assume it tests a lot better than the current system. In studies, ranked choice voting is like you've got our current system, um, plurality voting with like a primary and a general election. Then we've got um, a top two general election. Um, and top two systems actually do a lot better than plain old plurality voting. And then ranked choice is like right about here, depending on the study, really on par with top two. So That's if you're bad. eliminating a primary, you're going to get about the same outcomes that you would have had before. Both methods can fail to find the correct top two and can have vote splitting um, tank the results in close races, but do pretty well if there's only two viable front runners. So, um, yeah, just Alaska, that last slide um, and that last yeah. fact sheet is pretty yeah. incredible. So surprised, surprised the heck out of me when you told me about this. Yeah. Um, everyone's talking about Alaska. People are in love with what happened there. People are absolutely well, angry. Democrats are in love with it. <laughs> yeah. And Republicans are really angry. So um, we should break it down. I just was talking for a long time. I don't know if Sass, you want to take a turn. Um, yeah, yeah, we can, we can go through Alaska here. So this is, this is similar to the situation that I was describing in Burlington before. So this is the 2022 special general election for Alaska's lone U.S. House seat that had an incumbent in it for like 50 years or something. It was, it was a Republican for like 50 years. Um, I want to say, so there were three candidates. Mary Coltola was a Democrat. There was Sarah Palin, people are familiar with. And then there was uh, Nick Bagich, who was a more moderate Republican. Um, Mary Peltola ran a great campaign and she won fair and square by the rules of the game. The argument that we are making is that the rules of the game gave an undemocratic outcome. So we're not trying to shoot down Mary Peltola or, or any of the candidates. We're, we're, we're focused on what were the rules? What did, what did the system do and was the system appropriate? And it was tallied correctly according to the rules of ranked choice voting. So that was, that was not an issue here. They released the full ballot data and we were able to analyze it and we saw this problem. So what happened was uh, Mary Peltola got about 40% of 
first choice votes. Sarah Palin got about twenty or got about thirty five percent. Nick Bagich, the moderate Republican, got about twenty five percent. Nick Bagich was eliminated, and then about half of his votes went to Sarah Palin. They ranked her second. About thirty um, percent of them went to uh, Mary Paltola. About twenty percent of them were exhausted, so they didn't rank anybody else second. Which um, we've talked about the implications of that. And then Mary Paltola and Sarah Palin were then head to head, and Sarah Palin did not gain enough to then beat Mary Paltola. Mary Paltola took it. Mm-hmm. So, of voters who ranked Sarah Palin first, fifty-eight percent of them ranked Nick Bakich. So that means their first choice was Sarah Palin. Their second choice was, Sarah, was uh, Nick Bakich. Their last choice was Mary Paltola. The last choice was Mary Paltola. And Paltola is the candidate who won the election. If 6,000 of those voters who ranked Palin first, Bakich second, if they had instead ranked Paltola first, then Paltola would have lost. I'm going to repeat that. Of the voters who ranked Palin first, Bakich second, and Peltola last, if 6,000 of them had instead ranked Peltola first, then Peltola would have lost. It sounds counterintuitive almost. It is. It is counterintuitive. It's insane. Uh, the reason that that would happen is because Nick Bakich got so choice votes uh, from both sides, actually, um, but from Sarah Palin voters, that if enough of those voters had either ranked Bagich first or not voted at all, or even ranked Paltola first, then Palin would have been eliminated first because she would have gotten a fewer number of first choice votes. She would have been eliminated first. And then those votes would have transferred to Nick Bagich. And then Nick Bagich would have won over Peltola in the final tapping. Again, wild. So, um, What's interesting there is, um, you know, Republicans, Sastra shared a lot of the more nuanced details that actually aren't on this fact sheet that we're reading. So those of you trying to find those numbers on this fact sheet, they're in um, Sastra's brain. But over over 60% of voters ranked a Republican in first place. And... 53% 53% preferred Nick Begich, one of the Republicans, over Peltola, who actually won. So um, that means Sarah Palin, um, Palin voters were really mad. They were like, we should have won, da-da-da, ranked choice voting robbed us. They shouldn't have won. They were Palin Thank was you. the most polarizing candidate, and ranked choice voting successfully prevented her from winning, which is fair. Um, but Palin spoiled the election because she looked electable um, because she has all this name recognition. So people miscalculated this electability bias thing. They voted for the spoiler thinking that they were electable instead of voting for, um, you know, kind of the independent moderate or the Democrat. Um, So she split that Republican vote, causing them to lose. If Alaska hadn't adopted ranked choice voting, then you never would have had two Republicans running against each other in the general election. And so that never could have happened. And if ranked choice advocates hadn't told Republicans, you know, it's safe to run more candidates, you don't have to gatekeep each other, 
um, or if they had told Republicans, you don't have to vote less or evil, you can vote your conscience. Um, you know, it's because it was oversold that this type of backfire did happen. And because it backfired, what ended up happening is that the Republican Party um, initially they knew something unfair had happened. Um, this is really, really wonky election science. So the news outlets did not correctly report what went right. wrong. It was clearly yeah. unfair. And so the Republican Party made banning ranked choice voting their number two platform plank. Um, so leading up to this election, voting reform has been a pretty nonpartisan issue. We're definitely a nonpartisan nonprofit and our volunteers mm -hmm. are all across the political spectrum. It's actually fabulous to work together with people with diverse viewpoints and be constructive and collaborative in these times. But that's the reality that is star voting. Um, ranked choice voting has taken a very different approach. They've started selling ranked choice with really, really left rhetoric. And so Republicans are starting to get wary of it just because of that kind of like virtue signaling, signaling. But then when it actually backfired and cost Republicans the seat, they made it their priority to ban ranked choice voting. And they successfully did that all over the country. So ranked choice voting had already been banned in Florida and Tennessee. Um, it had also in sort of in Texas, but they, passed statewide bills to ban it in Idaho and also in, um, and then in North Dakota, what's really interesting is that North Dakota doesn't have ranked choice voting. <laughs> so we're like, why are you trying to ban ranked choice voting? Um, well, what they oh, had right. approval voting and approval voting is a good voting method. It would have prevented, it's much more transparent than this for one thing, Yes, but um, and it also eliminates the spoiler effect. So approval voting would have probably elected the moderate. Um, and yes. people would have been okay with it. And score voting and star voting. Star voting probably would have elected Begich. I agree. Um, but we don't know because we don't have that nuanced yeah. data. We don't know was Begich really pretty unpopular across the board, but preferred over all others. Star voting measures strength of support and number of voters but um but in in north dakota where they already have approval voting the legislator voted to ban rank choice and approval voting and the senate voted to ban rank choice and approval voting in both cases by a super majority and that went to the governor and the governor vetoed the bill Oh. Um, so if he's watching your podcast tonight um, or your live stream, thank you, Governor. He called it an egregious overreach of government and um, and pushed back and said, you know, approval voting. I just have to really popular. It was voted by like over 60 percent of people liked it and voted yes on approval voting. And then here we are seeing this national rank choice backlash almost repeal approval voting, which is a really, yeah, really insane. Um, They're not the same thing really, at all. Really innocent bystander. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, and isn't it crazy how like the, um, 
the states that are supposed to be about freedom, you know, the red states, we always like, oh, freedom. They're the ones banning everything. They're even banning hypothetical things. They don't like North Dakota didn't even have it. And they're banning like that's not freedom. Well, I'm sorry. The, the governor's the governor's veto letter stated what you just said, that like <laughs> the Republican ideal right. is no, you, you know, like he, he like called out the Republicans in his party and his state legislature. He was like, y'all talking about federal government overreach, but now you're trying to overreach into our localities. That's not what this party stands for. That was really cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. Two quick things on Alaska. You do not need to pull up the slide again. Um, really important just to piggyback on what Sarah was saying. People think Bakich spoiled Palin. That's not true. Palin spoiled Bakich. And that's hidden by the opaqueness of the ranked choice voting talent. So that's what happened. The other thing is it's not just ranked choice voting. It was actually a combination of two reforms that happened simultaneously. There's ranked choice voting and open primaries or open integrated primaries. Mm. The, what word we use for this is just not agreed on. And it's very confusing. I hate it. But basically Final it's, four, it's that's what they call it there. Yeah. What do they say? Final four or final, final four, four is, is a combination of uh, so final four, final five, you'll hear. But so you, it's still a partisan election, but you put all the partisan candidates on the same ballot. It's a choose one voting ballot, actually, in the primary. And then the top four or five go to the general. Uh, and then you use ranked choice voting in the general. It's a really weird system. Um, but um, so the there in Alaska, it was four candidates. The fourth one dropped out. So we're just left with those three. Um, but then the, the problem is, as I going all the way back to the start of the stream, when I said like, oh, partisan primaries are like a bandage on, or like a bandage, like two vote splitting, like, you know, there are mixed feelings about that, but like, that's why they exist. This like open integrated primaries thing or this final four, final five is like trying to address this thing of like, yeah, so many voters are disenfranchised by the partisan primary system, like a lot more voters to vote. It's like, it's a great ideal, but like, you're, you're ignoring the reason why we have partisan primaries in the first place, which is a bandage on vote splitting. But the problem is ranked choice voting doesn't solve vote splitting as we've demonstrated today. And as we've gone over, because again, in each round of the tally, you're still only able to support just one candidate, just like our current system. And so if you still have vote splitting in the general election, you still need to make sure that you don't have multiple candidates from the same faction or same party going to the general election. Otherwise they're gonna split the vote. And that's what happened in Alaska the Republicans split the vote and allowed the seat to flip blue for the first time in half a century, despite the fact that uh, the candidate who was preferred over all others was a Republican. Um, so, yeah, so Alaska, you know, whether or not your preferred candidate won or lost that election, Alaska dealt a catastrophic blow to the voting reform movement as we knew it. We had a nonpartisan cause. And we had supporters from all across the political spectrum that we've really intentionally cultivated. And it's a nonpartisan idea that the voting method should be fair and equal, that we should be able to vote our conscience. Um, I've canvassed Bernie Sanders houses and Trump flagged houses with the same elevator pitch and gotten people be like, thank you so much for the work you do, you know? And so the ranked choice voting, um, false claims, propaganda, and then, and then really wonky fail scenarios are dealing a catastrophic blow to voting reform that I hope we can recover from. From a star voting perspective, it's kind of validating as like, and I told you so, because um, 
it was some of these issues were hypothetical and hadn't happened in real world world elections, like tabulation failures due to centralized tabulation. Um, you know, that hadn't really happened until a couple of years ago that we know of. But um, everything that we'd warned has happened more as ranked choice voting scales. It's a system that doesn't scale well. And what we really need is a voting method that does a great job with multiple viable candidates or multiple political parties. That's what we need to break two-party domination. And what we need is not just to reform, you know, our Eugene Mayer's race, um, you know, as much as I don't agree with her on everything, she's not the real problem. The reason we're working on local voting reform is because it's a chance to model a better way to vote that we desperately need at the presidential level and the governor level and the state legislature level. So we need a voting method that is legal, is viable, is scalable, um, maintains that local tabulation, maintains those local checks and balances, maintains that simple transparency, and can really deliver on the claims that we're making and be backed by the science. Well, we will see it soon, hopefully. Um, and well, Eugene, at the very least, and hopefully Oregon soon after that. Um, but we do have to wrap this up because we're approaching three hours. Um, I apologize to everyone who I didn't get to your super chat. Uh, just a couple quick shout outs here. Marcus, again, thanks for all your support with the super sticker and the top skylines. I've been seeing you in the chat too. So shout out to you as well. I also want to point out there's been some, actually a lot of trash talking about uh, ranked choice voting, which I did not expect. Even some super chats. Um, this person Thank you for that. Uh, they give a shout out to the mathematician, Kenneth Arrow. Have you heard of Arrow before? Yeah, I have. Uh, I have paid to throw at him too. He he proved that no voting method is perfect, which well, is absolutely yeah. right. There yeah. are always going to be little edge case scenarios and cherry picked examples. But, um, but the takeaway from Kenneth Arrow's work was, oh, don't let perfect be the enemy of the good. And like, no, this is voting. This is our elections. We should absolutely fight for good voting reforms. Um, and I'll, I'll quickly, very quickly state. So Arrow's theorem, this is specifically to what this yes. chat says. Arrow's theorem is, applies only to ranked methods. It's a set of five pass-fail criteria. And he said no ranked voting method can 100% pass all five of them. But you can totally like pass four of them and be like 90% of the way on, on the fifth. Um, so I, I, it's, I wouldn't say that that has significant statistical flaws. Um, and his, you know, proof was then expanded on by Gibbard and Sat Satterthwaite um, to, to show more about the strategic voting across all methods. But um, yeah, so, but yes, listen, it's, this isn't binary. We can, we can take a look at like, we can still do really, really great. Yeah. Um, this person was, this is a reference earlier to the, people that had a hard time filling out the ballots. Um, but that's just one of the many reasons why ranked choice voting is bad. Hello. Thank you for the super chat. Uh, let's do one final question that I saw here that maybe, um, well, if you can answer them quickly, maybe two or yet for two. Quick. Just, let's do okay. It. Um, the first one is, okay. Why is there a need for scores uh, one through five? Maybe uh, explain that real quick. Like, it's it's zero to five. 
Okay. Yeah, it's zero to five, by the it's way. Zero to five. Um, and uh, yay or nay, which is another fantastic voting method. Um, approval voting is a little bit more on the simpler side. Star voting is a little bit more on the expressive side. Um, and, and, and as I was saying earlier, is humans naturally, you know, a five-star scale is like naturally aligns with, with you know, what humans think and how they express themselves. Uh, and so that can be like that's uh, that allows people to be much more natural in the way that they that they vote, which which can give you uh, really great results. But approval voting is still fantastic. The yay or nay is still really great. Yeah, my lightning round is that I want to be able to show that I prefer my favorite over my lesser evil. Yeah, well put there. And then finally, uh, what kind of public offices should star voting be used for? Uh, are there offices where it wouldn't be ad advantageous to use it? <clears throat> ballot initiatives are naturally yes no so we don't need star voting for that we could use it it'd be fine but we don't really need it um and we don't really need it if there's only two candidates and no write-ins are allowed but that's basically no elections anywhere so star voting is perfect across the board um not perfect across the board but we should use star voting for all of our elections and that's easiest for voter education too to be consistent yeah, yeah. I was going to say consistency. Having the same thing for every election. You don't want to. You don't want to have a case where you have choose one voting, rank choice voting, and star voting, and approval voting all on the same ballot. It's bad. Yeah. Oh, wow, you can be brief when you. Yeah. When you, Sorry. I've been super impressed with your knowledge. Both of you um, have really like. Uh, I don't know, just so much knowledge in your brains uh, about this stuff. Um, way over my head. Some of it was way over my head. So I've learned a lot. Um, the last thing I want to do here is just like for those watching, there's a lot, a lot of young folks, especially that are just getting into this for the first time. Maybe if you can end with just saying uh, what can they do, even like, you know, a 17 year old uh, in Nebraska, what, what can they do to, um, get star voting on the ballot in their, in their home. Uh, okay. I'll, I'll go yes, start volunteering, uh, go to starvoting.org or equal dot vote. You hit join or sign up. If you want to volunteer, you'll get into our Slack uh, and, and get to connect with other volunteers. Um, if you have a chapter where you already are, you can join that chapter. If not, we have a whole, uh, you know, chapter start guide and we'll work with you and support you and help you in forming a chapter. And once you get enough people uh, together, rally really excited, um, we can we can also help you. We have draft legislation or um, template legislation, uh, you know, and, and we can go through all the steps. And yeah, I'd, lo I'd love to see more star voting initiatives out there across the country. Uh, and we are we are here to help you. Mm -hmm. I'll just add that um, a really helpful thing to do is to tell your friends and family and to use star voting for mundane decision making in your life. So if you have a book club or you have a family vacation to plan or you're trying to decide anything with multiple options, go to star.vote and it's really easy to set up a quick poll, vote, try star voting for yourself. For anyone who thinks it's complicated, it's just a five-star rating. And you're just adding up the stars, then adding up the votes for the finalists you preferred. So it's pretty simple. Anyone who tries it 
um, when we actually have people vote, nobody has any questions. It's just when we get deep into the theory, which we're <laughs> obviously passionate about, that we start um, seeing, you know, eyes glaze over or get really inspired and start inventing voting methods, one or the other. Right on. All right. Well, um, Sass and Sarah, thank you so much for joining me tonight, uh, especially taking a lot of your time. Uh, but I, I hope it's worth it spreading the word about this. And the main thing is, I think I think my main takeaway, like ever since you first reached out to me, Sarah, and then just tonight, especially like I think ranked choice voting um maybe it's almost a good thing that it's getting a lot of negative attention from Republicans right now, because maybe that might open some, their eyes up to star voting um, and it can be branded as something that's really truly nonpartisan. That's best for everyone, no matter what their political affiliation, you know, I don't know. Um, it, final it thought. Matters, it matters. <laughs> voting are, are factual. Um, there are a lot of arguments against ranked choice, ranked choice voting that are, are not, um, that are not factual or not, are not, made in good faith they've been getting better we've been they've been seeing our talking points and, and starting to adapt them but um yeah we, we just again as i said before we care about the facts we want people to be educated and empowered to make informed decisions that's the thing we care about mm -hmm. and any final thoughts uh, sarah yeah definitely encourage people to head over to the websites if you want to learn more if you have specific questions we've got pretty much everything you might possibly want, easy to find and organized over there, including our donate link. Obviously, this type of work and this type of research is in desperate demand, and we could always use more help. So whether that's volunteering, donating, um, we don't, we have never had a corporate donor that sends us tons of money. We haven't really gotten giant grants in the past. We're mostly small donation and individuals funded. So any little bit helps. And thank you, Mr. B, uh, for having us on. We know we hog the mic a lot. There's so much to talk about always. Like I said, we didn't really, we hardly even got into like proportional representation or anything. Um, but it's been, this has been really fantastic. We're really appreciative that, that uh, you, you care uh, to get this all right. Uh, well, my pleasure is, is great hosting you both. And um, yeah, check out the Equal Vote Coalition. Uh, if you could stick around like two minutes after we go off the air, I have a, a quick proposal for you, for you both. I want to get your feedback on. <laughs> but for everyone watching, um, yeah, thanks for watching. And this is just the beginning. I hope you continue to research uh, the problems with ranked choice voting on your own and also the benefits of star voting, which I think we all by this point realize it's far superior. So uh, yes, uh, until next time, we'll see you later.